Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, welcome back to the Car Chat Podcast with myself, Sam Moores. And on this episode coming up, we have Jarrah Venables, who is the man in charge of the Endurance Racing Legends. Now, the Endurance Racing Legends is a club that puts on uh, races and events or sort of takes this group of cars. And it is 90s and 2000s Le Mans cars. So cars that raced at Le Mans in the 90s and 2000s so it's gt and gt1 cars and some prototypes jara i've known for a couple of years now i do some photography for the club um, but he used to work at goodwood he was in charge of content which at the time meant putting together grids for revival and stuff like that he's done a bit of historic racing and we generally have a good chat about all of those things and then have a real dig into the cars that are in the club and events and lots of quite cool stuff so i hope you enjoy it okay hello everyone welcome to car chat and i'm here with jared venables hi guys and uh, girls (laughs) and anyone watching dogs anyone yeah so I met Jarrah for the first time two years ago, maybe. Yeah. Maybe more, actually. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, two uh, years or so. yeah it was. Spring 2017. Bro, I tracked it. Okay. Yeah. And you got in touch through a group which was then called Global Endurance Legends, but yep. we'll just not talk about Global Endurance Legends because it's now been renamed which Endurance is, yeah. Racing Legends. Yeah. Um, and you got me down to do some photography. But yeah. And we've since, we've known each other since. Yeah. Spent many long hours in cars. <laughs> cruising to various parts of different countries um but yeah jara do you want to give a little bit of an explanation of yeah who you are what you do um so um i I obviously know my name um uh i'm sort of a i suppose car specialist i get asked this a lot uh and uh it's kind of amusing when people you you have to fill in a form 
Um, and I'm like, well, I don't really, there's not really a job title for what I do. Kind of car specialist, I suppose. Um, I do a bit of brokerage research um, and sort of event related work, but that was kind of my background. Um, so um, I spent probably more, uh, you know, people would know me better from my time at Goodwood, which I was at from 2005 till 2000, end of 13. What were you doing? Uh, basically, I was eventually after sort of eighteen months. I joined as an assistant, and I, uh, for the rest of the time, after about eighteen months of being there, I was responsible for all of the car content, at, or I suppose and bike content at their events, which at the time of festival speed and revival members meeting didn't exist then. Um, so that was doing all of the research for anniversaries, deciding what were going to be the focuses the following year, what cars you needed to get to to do that in the best possible way because we had to do it better than anyone else, obviously, what they sort of became famous for. Is that quite a, a tricky uh, job or does it depend it, on, I guess Goodwood is quite renowned. It so. depends on what you do. So, uh, you know, a lot of the times people would come to you uh, sort of offering cars, but that was more for the revival fund enough. You had to hunt yeah. for cars more for the festival speed. Also because festival speed was kind of like the history of motorsport in motion. So it's kind of a little bit of absolutely everything. Yeah. And um, so one year you might suddenly say, okay, we're going to celebrate like the Baja um, and you need to, you know, people would never think to mention a Baja car to you if they own one in California or something. So you'd have to do a lot more research work to try and figure out, you know, not the easy bit is figuring out what happened in history, right? Because that's kind of noted. But where are the cars now? Are the people still alive? You know, that sort of thing, tracking them down. Is there an insane database? Goodwood, yeah. Of like, who owns what and where it is? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, there is. I mean, uh, in my, at least uh, has this been copied and pasted into your own personal? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish I was that tech savvy. Uh, no, in, in my, maybe it is now a master, master funky database that they've got going on. But at least when I was there, like the entire there was sort of the database was there were two databases basically, which was terribly confusing and inefficient. But there was like a spreadsheet database which is more kind of revival focused because we had pretty much the same list of races every year or they'd alternate some. So yeah, you'd have like so a list of all of the me. master lists for each grid. You go, okay, we're doing a such and such trophy and here are all the cars people have ever told us about, right? Um, and that was quite useful because you could log lap times down and, and you know, pot, you know, potted history notes about cars and, and so on. You know, all you wanted to know was, you know, what the car was, who owned it, what chassis number was and kind of how quick it typically yeah. went around Goodwood. So kind of spreadsheets work for that. But um, uh, the master database, which had people's contact details on, which you couldn't really use Excel for, was on an old, old Microsoft Access database. Oh. And that was incredibly inefficient. It was like designed 20 years ago, some vast expense, uh, and it was ridiculously complex. We didn't use half the features in it. Um, and it was kind of quite difficult to use. Um, and um, so we kind of had to use both of them. So th- th- I don't know what they're doing today. They may still be using the same things. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and I left and, and, and started building up my own database and kind of quickly found the same problem because basically for what they were doing there and what I do nowadays, you kind of need your own sort of bespoke database, yeah. but it's, you can end up spending a fortune on that and it still doesn't do what you want. So. Yes. Uh, I guess you sort of revert back, revert back to Excel and then try and. Yeah. I use Dropbox and Excel heavily yeah. because obviously at least in the brokerage sense um, and in terms of like the endurance racing legends sense, um, images are used a lot. So Dropbox is quite handy for that. Excel's kind of rubbish for it. Yeah. Um, but equally, you know, you're doing a, a list of like cars coming to an event or something, you, you want Excel so you can put a load of ones in and then yeah. quickly have a total of how many people are coming and that sort of thing. So, 
Yeah, uh, I wish someone did make a bespoke product, but it's kind of an incredibly niche. niche. They sell like five copies globally. Uh, And they'd have to be super expensive. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So uh, I muddle along as best I can. (laughs) (laughs) So you were in charge of content. Mm. And I I guess that's not the same as you might say if you're in charge of content now. That's probably different. No, I mean, now, you know, like when we were there, there, there were kind of, there was a press department and that was sort of it. Now there's like a whole sort of, uh, I don't know what they call themselves, kind of media department media team, um, yeah. that, that, that capture media and, and, and process it and, and put it out there and so on. Um, and there's like five, six guys at least owning on the car events. Um, that, that didn't exist when I was there and, you know, I le- only left five and a half years ago. Um, uh, but um, uh, yeah, it's, I, I, I focus on, kind of everything and anything. So it was from researching to figuring out the cars, getting in touch with the people, getting them to agree to come along. Because um, was, there was no entry fee and it was by invitation. But, is, this, is there still no entry fee? Uh, yeah, there's an entry fee at the members meeting. Right. Um, uh, it's a nominal like five, six hundred pounds or something. Yeah. Um, but for the Festival of Speed and Revival, there's still no entry fee. But, you know, in some cases you're having to persuade people to come along from yeah, like Australia or America lot, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, half the time, well, not half the time, but some of the time, you know, people go, I've never even heard of Goodwood if you're bringing them up in yeah. provincial parts of America. <laughs> you know, like one guy was like, I literally, I rang him up uh, and he was about 80 something years old and I had to explain. I was like, you know, Goodwood. He's like, never heard of Goodwood. You know, I uh, had no idea. And I was like, he's like, where is it? I'm like, England. He's like, what? Like, like, you know, across the pond. I'm like, yeah, yes. He's like, oh, I said, okay. So your passport's up to date? Like, I don't have a passport, son. Well, Okay. Um, he's like, but uh, you know, I remember England was a really nice place. I'm like, but, but you, I don't understand. You haven't got a passport. He's like, I've never had a passport. I'm like, how did you get to England before? He's like, son, when I was last in England, we well, didn't need a passport. We just brought a <laughs> parachute and a gun. And I'm like, oh, you're that old. Okay, fine. <laughs> and it was literally the ironically that time we we shipped his car across, and there was a problem with the boat, and the car arrived a day after the event. Um, so that didn't work out terribly well. Um, it's the only time a car missed the, uh, the event. We used to have a little budget to bring special stuff yeah. across, like 20 cars from, you know, yeah. mostly America. But, um, but yeah, it was, so it was that. And then there was, uh, and, and in that, there was like the hill climb and all the different categories of cars and bikes. And then there was like a rally stage in the forest. And then there was a concourse. And then there's like a display on the, uh, the cricket pitch bit. Yeah. So there's lots of different areas of content. And then there's a the manufacturer element. And that, that would be like, you know, dealing with, you know, Ford or Ferrari or yeah. whatever and saying, right, here are the cars representing your brand we want. These are the ones that we need from you, from your museum. And sometimes that would, they'd be like, oh, great, that makes sense. Other times they'd be like, well, actually our marketing focus issues is on this mm. thing. And you're like, okay, so you <laughs> have to do a bit of deal making. So you bring that one and that one. Yeah, we'll let you bring that <laughs> if you bring this other one we really want. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it was all of that. And then Revival was kind of sort of many of the same types of things, but it was easier because a lot of the people were more regulars. So they kind of knew yeah. the event. There's less explaining to do um, because it's hard to kind of explain to someone what the festival speed is like from a participant's perspective if you've never done it before because it's kind of unique. Yeah, and, and the only thing I've sort of <laughs> resoundingly gathered, other than it's, you know, it's a great experience, people love it, is anyone that's driven up a hill. So I've got <laughs> friends that have driven other people's cars or driven a manufacturer car or something. They're like, yeah, I mean, it was great for the two minutes that I was driving yeah. up the hill yeah. or whatever it and is, a minute. Yeah, 1.16 miles. <laughs> but 
the three hours that surrounded that of sitting at either end was not quite. So yeah, it, you know, and you'd literally you'd have it with the people who are not familiar with the event, and and they'd be like, "So I'm coming all this way, yeah, all of this hassle and 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 expense and so on, even if they weren't paying for it, you know, the hassle." Um, and they're like, "So how 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 many times do I get to drive my car?" You're like, "Well, you, you get to drive it twice a day, okay, great, but how long?" Well, one point one six miles to be precise. Plus a little bit of, you know, technically maybe two miles if you include coming back yeah. down the hill. And they're like, um, right. And you're like, but there's a whole big of an event around that. So it's a kind of an amazing experience. And, it, you, you know, you look, just come. You have yeah, to experience it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. There's an amazing party. Um, but you have to experience it, you know, to get it. And once they do it, they're like, oh, my God, okay, I, I now understand it. But if you just explain it in very literal terms, it, it doesn't actually sound that appealing. For no, all it the, sounds the effort completely, and in fact, a lot of mechanics kind of don't like it because you have to start cars multiple times and yeah. and so on. Um, and it's probably not great. Race for the cars, cars don't like sitting around and short. No, exactly. Um, but it's it's incredibly special because it's where you literally get to see a history of motorsport in motion and in in one spot, you know. Yeah. Um, and you get to see people reunited with their old cars or driving cars you don't expect. Um, so it's. It's, it's, yeah, it's its own thing. And the weird thing about it is when you think about it, nothing existed like that since. A no. few things have cropped up to copy it um, and in some ways done some elements better or, or, or whatever, but... Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting one with Good with Festival to Speak because I think it's an amazing event. And the first time I went, I was absolutely blown away by what it was. It's and, a juggernaut now. And really then is. even like, like a couple of years later, my knowledge of what the stuff is and actually even now when like when i go back now i know more about all of the cars rather than just the supercars running up or whatever yeah um but it does it's almost like a victim of its own success because it was so good so early on anyway and it always has the best cars that you if you've been once or twice or three or four times it's not drastically different than no it, exactly and it's it, it, for a lot of people who come for the first time you know they make the mistake of just coming for a day or maybe two days and you, you just can't see it all. Uh, it's sensory overload because, um, I mean, like you say, if you've been there four or five times, you know the bits that inherently you prefer, so you gravitate towards them, you skip other bits that aren't up your street yeah. so much. But the first time you get there, you just go, oh my God, where do I start? You know, it, it, it's <laughs> it's a bit like sort of a car event uh, equivalent of supermarket sweep or something. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an incredibly um, uh, cool, cool event. But, you know, it's 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 massive now, and it's some. It's different to how it was in the first year. I went yeah. along in the first year. My dad took me in 1993, and it was a totally different event back then. The genesis of it was the same that. same type of format, um, but you know there were 25,000 people there, and it was maybe two days uh, if it wasn't one. I can't remember. Um, and I mean, that first year, I remember what the, she's now retired. The press officer. Um, told me they expected like five or eight thousand people and twenty five thousand people turned up. They literally physically because it was on the gate. You couldn't yeah. you couldn't pre buy a ticket. Um, they literally ran out of tickets to give to people. So she had to bolt into Chichester and 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 buy the only thing that resembled tickets, which are a roll of a bunch of rolls of raffle tickets. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> some people out there probably still got original festival speed tickets, actually just random raffle tickets. Um, and and then you look now and it's got like two, what two hundred nearly thousand people. And it's, yeah. you know, it kind of replaced the British Motor Show because that kind of died and it's, they sort of added on a day at Goodwood and so it became more road car focused as well. Yeah. But 
it's a cool thing to see. It's um, yeah, worth going. 100%. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's something I remember we talked about a while ago, and I was intrigued. Was when you were talking about putting cars together for, let's say, revival, mm. and you've got the owners of the said cars. Yeah, but it's not necessarily the owners driving them. No, and then it's not necessarily the person that they have chosen to drive them cars either. No, and Can so you explain that. Yeah. Most, like, most people will be like, "What are you talking about?" You have to about? be quite good at sales, I suppose, uh, in that role, um, which I quickly realised. So, um, Festival of Speed, you know, there were two runs each day, let's say, uh, so you know, six in total, um, and probably not many of the cars actually ran against the clock. They were kind of running to demonstration. So, if you were bringing someone, let's say, bringing an old Jackie Stewart Formula One car or something along, and you're like, "Hey, Jackie's going to be here on Saturday. It'd be wonderful to see him reunited with your car." And you go, oh, "Okay, all right, sure. It's not." time that you know it's yeah, just a yeah, demo yeah. he's just tootling up the hill one mile you know kind of what could go wrong yeah, okay there's a couple there's a flint wall quite close a few things can go wrong i suppose and they oh, have in the past but but you know it's it's fairly low risk um it, it is one car on track at a time sort of thing um um and there was a lot of that at the festival of speed but it's an easier sales pitch with the revival most of the races are single drivers there are a couple that are two drivers so, like the the touring car races, two driver, but in two parts. So, like the the, the famous drivers drove in the first part on Saturday, and then the owners drove right. on Sunday, or owner nominated person. Um, the the TT ha- always was and still is two driver one hour race. They added the odd race on a Friday night that was also one one hour, but they kind of changed the type of cars they catered for yeah. every now and then. Um, but they're like two driver, like you can drive with your mate, or you can drive with someone famous, or you can have two people drive for you. It's entirely up to you. The TT was always like, this is the jewel in the crown and we'll invite a load of, you know, retired and or current stars along um, and we have to have find them, a, we used to have to find them a drive. Um, and so, of course, some people are like, yeah, whatever, I'm just here for the fun and others are like, right, I want to win, you know, at all kind of costs. Yeah. So you'd have to kind of go, okay, well, that guy's really precious about his car, understandably, because it's super original and not very competitive. So we'll put the guy who doesn't care about being quick in that. He's just coming along for the party. The guy is super competitive and wants to win. Okay, we need to find you know this or this or this, get him a seat in one of those because they're the front runners. But sometimes the owner would be like, I don't want a BTCC driver in my $5 million yeah, car yeah. or no, car. I've seen how um, they drive. Yeah, and, 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 and equally, you know, you get another BTCC driver who's incredibly sympathetic and mechanically kind. And so there was a lot of you sort of, like you'd kind of, I'd anyway prefer having people we'd had for a few years who kind of proven themselves not to yeah. be reckless, to be respectful of, not just cars because they're valuable, but because they're historically significant. I mean, I think in recent years it's changed and people have built replicas of original cars and keep yeah. the original ones in the garage and race replicas we should come back and are kind it. of open about it. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and other cars that have been built up from a road car. So they are an original car, but they didn't have a racing history yeah. in period. Um, and equally the mix of drivers has maybe changed a bit. And so it's sort of, it, it it's somewhat changed now and there are a lot of owners because values also because of the market performance values went up massively in the last sort of 15 years or so um and so a lot of owners are like ah, i'm just not happy having some guy even if he is a very good you know like Le Mans yeah. winner or whatever in my car i don't kind of really know him i'd rather have someone in with me who i know you know um and in some cases an owner would would uh in some cases, an owner would um, build up a relationship by a chance encounter um, uh, with someone we placed in their car, and then they became really great friends, you know, um, yeah. and they were always, every year, they're like, okay, I want to have this guy in my car, and it just kind of worked out, and it's nicely. 
But it became harder and harder as values kind of went up and up and up. And owners were like, look, I'm only coming (laughs) if I can pick my driver. Yeah. Um, And that's, I suppose, just how it changed, you know. And then I guess you've got all these cars that on paper are worth a ton of money. Yeah. um, yeah. In theory. Hundreds of millions at one point, I think. And literally for a grid, it was like we tallied it up roughly and it was like, wow, this is probably worth like a quarter of a billion dollars. Yeah. And 30 cars. Yeah, that was an bit. expensive crash. Mind but then mind. a flip side that I bring to people's attention when people sort of ask me about this is you may be racing a car that's worth, let's just pick, pick a value, 10 million pounds. Mm. It doesn't cost 10 million pounds to rebuild it. No. So when, the, when you see that car crash, and I think people do like really quite enjoy seeing yeah. an expensive car crash, like this. It's not a nice thing, but a lot of people are like, ha ha ha. There's ha, a spectacle that guy about just it. Stuffed his very expensive car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and then you get people going, oh, it wasn't the original one. It was a copy. Well, that's yeah, it. Yeah. 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 Um, but then it may, may cost £200,000 to rebuild. Yeah. We looked at this for, uh, at least when I was at Goodwood, um, um, for insurance, funnily enough, um, for the cars that we used to bring across to the Festival of Speed, let's okay. say. We're like, you know, let's say, you know, I don't know, it's, it's being brought across. By sea freight, and the crane drops a container, and it, yeah. you know, d- d- half destroys a car or totally destroys a car. You know, what would it take, you know, to rebuild a car if it's pretty much all, all gone? You can yeah. salvage much of it. And we went to a bunch of specialists, and they're like, "Look, even you know, some incredible cars. This was like 15 years ago, mind. Um, or, yeah, about that. Um, they were like, you're going to struggle to spend more than three to five hundred thousand pounds, even on like an amazing yeah. concourse car, let alone a racing car, just in terms of the costs of fabricating it, the man hours and so on. Um, and of course, some some of that is you know, that was relative, uh, approximate rather. Um, and in some cases, if something had a really special engine or something, yeah. it might be complex or one of only so many. You know, it's going to vary. But you're right. It, 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 a lot of the value of cars, it's like watches. You know. I don't know, like a Submariner Rolex from, you know, not, uh, I don't know, 1980 something or 2000 and something yeah. might be worth 20 grand. But intrinsically, it's, it's, it's not technically really, maybe the movement might be slightly different or something, but it's not going to be any different than no. one 10 years later or something. But maybe one's an anniversary or one's one of so yeah. many and that commands a massive premium. It's kind of the same with cars, you know, um, they'll drive the same, um, but one, that, uh, and maybe they're one of a certain run, right? But one that was driven by, uh, I don't know, Sterling Moss might be worth 50% or 100% more and won a certain race yeah. than a car that It's didn't. just a car. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's what people pay for. And of course, so when you crash a car, you'll only do so much value, damage rather in terms of cost of repairing it. But what you can do is wipe a lot of the value off it, theoretically, if you have to replace a bunch of the parts and people are like, the okay, well, that was the car that Moss drove to victory in this certain race. Now you've just replaced the body on it. So that's a lot less it's, original. It's a really funny sort of world that because okay, these like race cars and okay, quite a lot of them they're old enough that you can drive them on the road. Yeah. So yeah. people can drive them on the road. Yeah. Um which means you get a lot of enjoyment out of them not Well up racing. to a certain point in time race cars were kind of unless it was Formula One, were road usable cars. Yeah. You know? Um and so um it was really probably Late sixties, I'd say something like that. Um, that even the sort of prototype cars started really being too extreme for the road. Yeah. Or certainly by the mid mid seventies, and 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 in fact, you know, there was kind of a 
really once tire technology changed and you went from like slicks, uh, treaded tires to slick rather than slicks or wet, you know, then that was kind of a big separation. Yeah, yeah. I think. Um, And then you get, yeah, so we've got these cars that can be driven on the road. So if you're an owner, you can drive these race cars. Yeah. A lot of people do. If you're GTO, whatever, you can drive it on the road, no problem. Once you can't drive it on the road, the only place you can drive it is on the track or race it. Now, if it's expensive, to run, I would say people are m- probably more inclined to just race it. I don't know. I'd actually, I'd be, that'd be an interesting one it's to find of, out. Yeah, it depends on the cars. I mean, some have become kind of literally like trophy assets in a way, yeah. like expensive art or something, you know, that like some of the most expensive paintings in the world, people don't actually look at it. They're locked away in a vault. It, yeah. It's not dissimilar with certain cars. Like some of the most famous racing cars in the world are now so valuable that they, they never see a racetrack. Yeah. In fact, they rarely even get used yeah. on the road. They're just there and that's the such and such thing that went for so many million dollars or whatever, which is kind of a shame. And in fact, if you look at race results from like 50s or 60s or whatever, and, and you look at a typical grid for the same period and, and category, like class of racing cars, it might look very different in terms of the ent- entry list because you're missing loads of the most valuable cars. Now yeah. and you're like, well, these ones are now really competitive. They weren't so competitive back in the day. It might, might be because you're missing a load of Ferraris that were dominant that are yeah. now so valuable people don't race them. You're not going to race them. No. But um, if you do want to race a car you're not really you're, the only thing you're really bothered about is like how, how well it handles and how fast it goes and like if it's still, you know, you still want it to be like historically, I think it should be historically accurate if you're yeah. racing in the historic yeah. racing stuff. But if you have bought that car with the engine that whatever did one X race it would be really quite bad on the values if you blew that engine up. Yeah. Yeah. So you might put another one in. Exactly. And, and I mean, the American, I think Concourse scene started this to a degree, there's some matching numbers thing. Mm. And now it's like first paint with newer cars anyway, um, which always makes me laugh a bit. Um, and and I, I think um, once the cars started really going up in value a lot. People started to look for differentiating factors from an investment perspective. And that was the fact that it might've been matching numbers, engine gearbox, but you know, or sometimes body had yeah. a number or whatever original body, let's say um, from when it rolled out of the factory. And then in more recent times, it's, you know, at least with road cars, it's like, Oh, is it first paint? And, you know, or if it, yeah, it's an F40, that. Oh, you can see the weave. I mean, you know, yeah. it's like, it was a particularly bad paint job. Yeah. So it, <laughs> it, that's kind of it. You know, it's like, well, actually in most terms, if you, know, if you're like, you're painting your wall or something yeah, and, 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 and you're like, well, I can, you know, I can still see the primer under that. Yeah. Uh, you know, in F, if that was an F forty, you'd be like, you can still see the primer on that. Don't one. touch that's that. That's a really fantastic one. That's the first paint. Repaint. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, you'd be just like, <laughs> you did a really rubbish job on that. Can you do it again? And it might be because you know the the, the paint technology, the the, the paint yeah. machines were bad or whatever. Yeah. But you know, that's kind of people look for differentiating. Or factors. you've been you've been throwing some plates around the room hey. and you've chipped this wall. Yeah. Don't ever fix it. Exactly. It's and, pretty novel. And it? so that kind of that came in with with, with racing. And so what people did if they had the wherewithal is they'd buy a whole separate engine they'd take the original engine out and they'd put it on a crate and they'd mm. buy a, a new one or have one built up to go racing with so that if they you know threw a rod outside or their crank split yeah. and took out the engine um uh, it wasn't destroyed because they were concerned about the value yeah. mostly some people that they're like they genuinely absolutely it's about an originality thing for them yeah almost as much as it is a value thing but I think that, yeah, the investment side has kind of changed people's approach yeah. to a degree. 
Um, and you know that it's like I people say, well, why did you leave Goodwood? And it's like, well, you know, they're like, sure, that's the best place on earth to work if you like car events. I'm like, well, yeah, it was amazing. Good and I, to go I to. loved my time there. I really did. Um, but it's kind of like if you drive the best car, your dream car, mm. on your dream track. Have you done it's that? An in, um, a couple of them, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, which I never thought would happen. I was kind of, I'm, and I didn't capture them on video in a couple of cases. And I'm now like, did it really happen? I'm, I'm kind of, maybe, maybe it was a dream. Um, but uh, you know, like the first ten laps or so, twenty laps would be mind blowing and amazing. And you know, you're in Nirvana. But if you had to do like a hundred laps, eventually you're like, ah, okay, I'm, I'm not so special now. Yeah. It becomes a bit familiar, and it's not so special because of the familiarity and the repetition. It was kind of like that at Goodwood. I'd done loads of amazing celebrations and met all of the famous drivers I could, uh, you know, well, more than I imagined I would yeah. anyway. Um, and you created amazing moments in time and so on. And eventually you're kind of like, like baking a cake with the same ingredients. There's only so many different variations. Been you can there, do. done that. Yeah. And it, I thought, I always thought once it becomes a bit familiar and repetitive, like that's time to, to stop yeah. and change. And I noticed that like two years before I left. I just, it took me that long to figure out what the next step was. Cause it's a bit like, just imagine if like that job to me in event times was a bit like driving for Ferrari for yeah. one, like that's it. You, yeah. Where do you go? And there's inherent kind of concern that the next step is going to be like Minardi, hmm. but the Minardi equivalent in formula two or, or whatever. Um, and so the more I thought about it, the more I, you know, I was like, okay, well, what do I want? I want some more variety, a bit more independence, you know, that, that sort of thing. And I was like, well, the only way to achieve this is to kind of do something by myself, um, which is pretty daunting. Um, but um, eventually I was like, well, I suppose I'm relatively young and, you know, if it doesn't work out, I can, I've got time, you know. You can always go back to doing something. Yeah, like that. exactly. And that was what, five and a half years ago. And it's, I don't know where the time's gone, to be honest. Um, it, it's been great. Um, so, uh, and the good thing is I get to go back to Goodwood now and actually enjoy the event. You know, before I used to actually really like the TV highlight show because I get, got to see the event. Yeah. I used to spend the whole <laughs> time pretty much looking at the floor, either on my phone or on a radio. Yeah. And I just not, you know, it'd be awkward when we come to like the prize giving things it's like who should we give the special award for driving such and such to? And I'm like, I don't know. I didn't see anything. Yeah. So, so it's kind of, it's nice now. To did you on. think the, along with that, you know, working for Goodwood and stuff, did you feel like your love of those cars was slowly waning over time because of the familiar, familiarity? Yeah, aspect? I, yeah, I don't, I suppose not love waning, I suppose because it's always there. I love cars, all sorts of cars, different reasons and so on. Um, but I certainly became more blasé about it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like if I'd have, before I was at Goodwood, if I'd have seen, I don't know, like a short wheelbase Ferrari or let's say 250 GTO, yeah. people would be more familiar with that. Um, I'd be like, oh my God, that's like the holy grail of collecting cars yeah. to most people. Unbelievable. Right? Um, and um, I, I'd, I'd be a, you know, drooling kind of, you know, embarrassing wreck and be like, oh, that's amazing. Oh, can I touch it? You know, um, and, and, and I grew up around that old car scene, but they'd still kind of instill awe in me. Um, but actually, you know, by the time I kind of left Goodwood, I'm like, oh, you've got a 250 GTO. Yeah, it's one of 50-ish, nearly yeah. late 40s, you know. I've seen 40 of them. Uh, or yeah, I've seen a bunch of them, you know. Oh, great. Okay. And it's, if you listen to yourself, eventually it's about you're like, what are you saying? Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, another such and such. It's like, yes, it's incredible. It's, it's, it's amazing. 
it's not then but you do get blase the more it's like it's the same with famous people exposure to anything it, yeah it's the same it's like if people are like, oh you starstruck around all of these famous drives and like, well not really because a you get to know them eventually and then they're not kind of not famous, famous anymore they're, they're just people you know yeah and and b the more famous people you're around it's like oh yeah you won indy or le mans yeah he's won it six times yeah. like you've only won it once i mean you're not you say that to people <laughs> but you know you're like in your head you're like yeah, yeah. You're, you're great but like they're all great yeah. legends in a room in some way shape or form um and the, the key thing is they're just they're all nice people well some of them aren't but most of them are um and you know it's like people are like, you must have an amazing autograph collector i'm like not really i've never asked for an autograph um no. it doesn't have any meaning to me personally i, I get it for a lot of people but for me having afternoon tea with i don't know sterling moss or you know tom christensen or someone like that just because you've got five minutes to kill and just have a random chat is more special and memorable than anything that could have a physical form to me i i slightly wish i had more photos uh of meeting when i've like hung out with people or yeah or something like you have a good time with someone And you spend like half a day with someone who you've just had a great time. And it, and this applies to anyone, actually. Yeah. This is not famous people specific or whatever. Yeah, no. But just like have a little photo at the end of the day, just the two of you. You know, I like, think there's two types time. of people. There's a type of people who consciously try and capture those moments, maybe for boastful reasons. I don't know. Um, but you, like we've all got, I think, one of those friends who's like, here's me with so-and-so, here's oh, yeah, me doing yeah, this, yeah. here's me doing that. No need. I'm the category of like, actually, I've got almost no photos of me because I'm... I don't particularly love being in front of the camera. Um, And so I'm like, no, 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 I'll take a photo of everyone. I'm like that guy who, and so, uh, you know, I should have loads of photos of me with all of these famous people and so on. And I'm like, actually, I've got none. Um, And it would seem kind of, at the time, it seemed really kind of awkward to be like, hey, let's get a photo together. That's the only thing I suppose um, I regret. Only from a personal, not because I want to show anyone, just kind of look through and go, oh yeah, I remember that thing we did or whatever it's something like i'm i'm pretty good at is taking photos when i'm at places now yeah <laughs> because not not as if it's for anyone else or something but i've i've realized because i am taking photos for other people a lot yeah when i go to let's say an event with you i've taken tons of pictures of the cars on track or whatever yeah but like there might have been none of us like messing around, yeah. going to visit the town like <laughs> yeah. Venables or yeah. whatever, and then you do take those photos and you look back and you go like, well, those are the ones that actually mean something yeah. from that trip. You, you, you so I need to them. do more of those, and I, and I now try. Yeah, I, really I mean, try. You know, you're, hey, you're, you, you're good at taking good photos. I, I'm I'm great at taking photos, but just rubbish ones. Um, but I push I push everyone to do it now. Yeah, like, it's right. And they go, oh, like quite often I get it if I'm going somewhere where people will say, oh, but you'll take the photos. And I'm like, yeah, but. You'll, you'll get a lot of enjoyment out of yeah, capturing the things that you want to capture. It's and then true, because everyone's got their own kind of way of doing stuff, right? I mean, although that said, there's some, there's some things from Goodwood that I'm kind of glad there aren't photos from. <laughs> like, you know, one or two things that didn't, at least that time, didn't go quite so smoothly. Um, uh, you know, usually before the public turned up. Um, but, uh, yeah, they're... Uh... <laughs> so you, um, you were saying you've driven some stuff or got to drive some stuff. Have you got um, like an, any yeah, notable? Because you, you've done quite a bit of classic racing, actually. Yeah, I've been sort of massively lucky. Uh, ridiculously, actually, if I think about it. Um, and it again, it kind of is easy to just be like, yeah, I've raced a bit. And it, I suppose it, it can come across as a bit arrogant, actually. And it's really not meant to be. It, it's just the familiarity thing we talked about. But 
Yeah, so I'm I'm I'd never carted. I wanted to. My dad was a mechanic on old cars. Yeah, right. So I I grew up around, you know, initially when I was quite young, like lots of pre-war cars and then fifties and sixties cars, which are his kind of thing. Um, and uh, I was like, I want to be a racing driver. And he's like, Well, uh, a bit of a problem with that. We've got, um, you know, we we're not super wealthy. I'm like, oh, okay. So maybe you should try working on the cars instead. I'm like, okay. So I took my bike apart, age eight, um, and couldn't remember how it went back together. So it was at that point I realized I didn't inherit his natural knack for mechanical things. Um, so I'm like, okay, well, maybe really a driving, you know, job is kind of the best thing. And he's like, no, no, no I've told you, forget that. You know, you need to do karting. We don't have the money for that. Forget it. I'm like, oh, okay. So I was kind of frustrated to want to be kind of, you know, karting star that never kind of actually got to a cart. Um, and uh, so eventually I got my race license um, and my dad was like, well, what are you going to race? I'm like, oh, I don't know. You know, stuff will come up. Um, but at least I have my race license and I'm like a racing driver. Right. And uh, eventually kind of lucky one of his customers was like, hey, I've got this old race car. Why don't you drive that? That's a death trap, a Formula V thing, actually. Um, but I appreciated the opportunity. Um, uh, but um, I, it very nearly put me off for life. Actually, it was so bad. Um, but but then another one of his customers was like, "Hey, I want to do a season of historic racing in a '50s Jaguar, but I can't actually make half the races." So uh, he was going to do it with his son. So he's like, "Well, I'll just enter it. Why don't you two do it?" Okay, and that kind of went fairly well. Um, Wait, so you did this with your dad? No, no, no. It was with, my dad looked after the car, um, oh, yeah, and, and it was with his son. customer's son. Yeah, oh, that that. that. It's an unreal. I know. I couldn't quite believe it at the time. I was like, I've been asked to drive someone's car. Does this mean I'm professional? Wait, no, I'm not paid. Okay, well, I'm still happy yeah, with it. You're basically you know. professional at yeah, that point. I'm, I'm, yeah, exactly. I was kind of <laughs> counting it as professional. Uh, and, and so that kind of went well. And then it, it was a couple other cars after that. And then some of my other dad's customers asked, well, why don't you test my car or you know, whatever. And it kind of went from there. And I never asked for a drive. Partly because initially it was a bit awkward. It was like, well, who are yeah. you? I'm like, well, I'm, I'm a nobody kind of driver. So it was a bit not like, hey, I'm, you know, such and such championship winning driver. Um, and then it just got to the point, particularly when I was a Goodwood, like I didn't actually want to ask anyone because yeah. it kind of changes the dynamic. If anything goes wrong, if someone's asked you to drive their car, you're like, okay, it's fine. But as long as it's at your risk, cause I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm paying yeah. a pittance I, I'm not and I, don't, I yeah. can't afford to, even if I wanted to fix it. Um, so, and then just sort of, I, I kept with that rule. Um, and I probably could have driven even more cars if I'd have just been more brazen about saying, Hey, can I drive your car? Some people but, but are kinda, amazing at that. Like they're literally just I know. Up to anyone and say, Hey, can I drive your car? And, and, and it seems to work as yeah. well. And I, I think that kind of, they're the people who take the photos at yeah. any opportunity of the crowd. <laughs> and I think they've just got that kind of front and it's not me and that's fine. Um, but, um, but yeah, so I, I, I ended up getting asked to drive more and more amazing cars and, uh, I say more and more. It was only like you know three or four a year as such. Um, but you know when they're especially as they were, uh, I, I was pretty amazed that I'd even been asked. Um, and you know, yeah, I suppose you're only as good as your last performance. So I suppose I'd describe myself as a pretty decent amateur. I'm not a professional. You know, I've been alongside one or two professionals as a kind of a nervous passenger and kind of had the realization, of, okay, right, and that's why you're a professional, and I'm yeah. never going to be. Um, you, you, but, you, but you have to be driving like. Four times, five times a week. <laughs> That's it, yeah. And the, and the practice is a big part of it. You know, I had one season about three years ago, four years ago, with a friend, and we ended up doing driving loads of different cars and loads of different events. And by the end of it, I'd found that I'd hop in a car and be like, you know, my quickest lap would be like my fourth lap, yeah, our third lap, um, because you were just you just tuned in, and that's why pros are really kind of good because they drive loads of stuff, a variety, and very very often, and inherently they're damn good. They're good to start with, but yeah, to start with. Um, but with historic cars, particularly valuable ones, 
um, and historically significant ones, it's not just about being quick. It's about respecting the car, minimizing the risk and how you drive it. Yeah. You know, don't dive for the gap that might diminish when you're in a, you know, 20 something million dollar car. You know, you find another person out of the corner when it's less risky and that sort of thing. And also it's historic racing. So who cares if you win a pot? Yeah. Uh, two days later, nobody cares, even yeah, if you exactly. win a revival, really. Um, so that's kind of, you need to remember to like leave your ego in the, you know, the car, the car back in the, you know, the toolbox back in the paddock. What do you think about people racing replicas versus originals? Um, I think it's becoming much more commonplace and it kind of depends on whether it's a historic racing series um, where it's more prevalent or one of the blue ribbon events like Goodwood where it's beginning to become more common. I kind of don't have too much of an issue with it. I suppose initially I did and I was a bit disappointed. Then I kind of realized that in many cases it's because the owner not just wants to protect their investment, but wants to protect the originality of a car. You know, they bought a car because that was a nicely preserved car and so on. They don't want to risk that. And I kind of, I get that, you know, um, but uh, just like if you had a famous painting, you know, you might choose to put it in a museum instead of just, you know, hang it up down in the kitchen yeah. where your kids were drawn on the wall or whatever. Um, and um, so I, I suppose I understand it. I don't have a problem if people are upfront about it, I suppose. It's a crux yeah, of it. That's um, a seriously key uh, point. And I think as cars become more and more valuable, the truly original ones that, you know, are incredibly rare and achieved amazing results will become museum pieces like it or not. Um, but the ones that people race as replicas aren't like dodgy knockoffs. They are exact spot on replicas. Yeah. You know, one guy I know, probably all of the racing cars he races, but they're all amazing cars and very significant. He has replicas of, and I've seen two of them side by side. Yeah, and I'm you know pretty good at identifying the cars. I know, I think. Um, and it took me a good five minutes to figure out which was which. They were yeah. that good, and it was it was literally down to, uh, like. You know, the amount of dirt on the corners of welds in the chassis and, you know, rivet heads and stuff like that. It, they were that good. So uh, most people wouldn't be able to tell. And frankly, and especially you know, if they're not next to each other. No. And if they're on track, you know, from a spectator perspective, uh, you know, a car drifting through a corner that's in a sight to see or a whole gaggle of them. You know, is it any less entertaining if they're all replicas versus the original thing? And if they're replicas, probably not. From a they're still bloody expensive. Yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> to make a, 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 a turnkey Jaguary type lightweight, let's say, or Cobra or Ferrari, let's say, particularly even more so with the Ferrari, but let's say Cobra and E-type, fairly common cars yeah. in historic racing or common choices. You're not going to have really much spare change at all out of £300,000 to build, either to build one up from scratch or to yeah, start with a car significantly larger numbers. If you're talking a Ferrari, you, you, yeah, like a million, hundred, six, seven hundred, it depends on bodywork, engine configuration, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, they're not, they're still not cheap. Um, but, um, I, I think in the future it'll become commonplace actually, um, like it or not to, um, to run, um, replicas and like i said i don't have an issue if people are honest like you know i have the original one at home yeah. or even i don't have the original one um, i can't afford an original one this is the best i can do do you think so do you think there should be like a if someone says i want to race a 250 short wheelbase competition whatever um that they should be allowed to build one and race it a lot of me says why not and then some people say okay but they should only be allowed to build a replica of each historic yeah. racing car. So let's say there's 25 cars in period. 
and there can be 25 replicas. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I suppose, you know, you'll never be able to stop people is the crux of it. You know, if it, yeah, you yeah. be able to kind of... The only side is whether you let color. people enter it. Exactly. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't see that that, that will happen. Or it'll turn out quite like that. Um, you know, I, I, what annoys me is when people will buy, you know, not much more than the chassis plate. My yeah. car was destroyed. Someone kept Tiny a couple of, of metal. Chassis. Yeah, which has happened a lot in the past already. And those cars have been passed as original with the passage of time. Um, but, but you know, people are trying to m- say it's more original than it is, essentially to profit out of it. Yeah. That I don't like then, because some poor person inevitably might not do their homework or might not speak to the right people. Buys it, realize, and it's buys worth it. a tenth of what they've paid. Yeah, and, and so they've been had. And it, it's kind of, you can't necessarily call it uh, it's fraud. fraud in a way, because someone might not initially have done it for that reason. They might have, you know, built it. Building the car uh, is not the fraud. They might have Selling sold. it as an original is the yeah. fraud. And in some cases, the person who did it originally didn't have that mindset. Yeah. They may have just been like, well, I found it. I'm building it up. It is yeah. what it is. And then they've sold it to someone. Eventually, like three or four people down the line will be like, oh, no, this is the original one. Yeah, yeah. it gets where, where's more and more it? authentic every time it gets yeah. sold. Yeah, and, and, and that's where the passage of time is careful. So continuous history and provenance is always key when people are buying cars. Um, you know, the more paperwork, evidence, and so on, the better. But ultimately, it's where it's kind of this old Ferrari classish thing and Jagger are doing it now a bit, I think, and, and various other manufacturers, like a heritage certificate. Yeah, people are, all of them. People are. who are new to the game rely on that too much, I think. And yeah, it may be kind of nice to have, but it can make a significant, too much difference to value, I think, to cars. And it's fine if it's kind of a rogue kind of like, look, it left the factory in this color with this yeah. leather and whatever. Okay, fine. But for a racing car, I think it kind of, people rely on it too much in terms of originality. Um, and I, I think, no, actually, you know, educate yourself as best you can. If you, if you don't know what you need to know, uh, find the right people, put them around you. And you, if you're passionate, you'll, you'll eventually, you know, people, you'll be connected to the right people. Um, or, or go to specialists and, and pay them for some help or whatever. It's worth it. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and if you don't know where to start, ring up a magazine or, you know, one of the car websites and say, hey, who would you recommend going to for advice yeah. on this car? Um, and, uh, and educate yourself as much as you can and do as much homework as you can and be, you know, like the whole buyer beware thing is, you know, really applicable. Yeah. Um, and it, it, the good thing is it's harder and harder for stuff to be hidden now. Like if you had a massive shunt in a car in the seventies or eighties, yeah. uh, you know, maybe five people might've been watching it. You wrote the front end off your original Ferrari, whatever you could stick it under a dust cover. You know, digital cameras didn't exist, phones didn't, smartphones didn't exist, the internet didn't exist. You could whisk it away home, hide it away for years, put a whole new front end on it, and then thirty years later, oh, it's one hundred percent original. Oh no, that bump that wasn't too bad. It was just we knocked it out. You know, now, like you know, you crash your car, Spa or Goodwood or whatever, you know, particularly Goodwood, you're in front of a hundred thousand people or something. It's all over the internet before you've even got the car back to the paddock on the flatbed. Um, so. It's hard yeah, to like they were, well, dodge was that. it last Which year, is a year good before thing. that 250 GTA? Yeah. Now, obviously, there's a very big question because, I mean, everyone knows there's more than one of that car. Um, but it's an interesting one because I don't know why you would race the real one in that scenario. If you have two identical ones, yeah. I don't know why you'd race the real one. But if you say it's the real one and the car crashes, Presumably, yeah. the value of the real one it, has to take a hit. Theoretically, unless I mean, if it's a, if it's at that level, 
you can go to discerning people look yeah honestly actually it was a replica the original yeah. one's at home you can see here's the invoices for making the replica yeah, yeah, you yeah. can clearly, clearly see the replicas on the shunted, the shunted look at the crash, yeah. crash damage and so on so I think with the really special stuff it probably won't make much of a difference the question is you know and I've driven original stuff raced original stuff and uh, stuff that's just built up so not quite replica but yeah. you know, effectively replica built up from a road car As, you, there's no tangible you don't get no. more enjoyment out of driving a, rep, uh, a, real, a real one that you, it might be a, a more special experience because you think I'm literally sat in the seat that yeah. so and so sat in it and that's kind of nostalgic in a way on track you're not thinking about that difference. when you're that, that, that changing gear and on the brakes and so on you're just thinking you know don't don't lose it yeah. uh, and, and and in fact it, you could argue it could be more enjoyable because you, you've factor. got you've got less pressure <laughs> Yeah, you know, in, less pressure in, is better. Yeah, I raced with Ferrari um, short wheelbase with a, with, a, with a friend, and it, it's an original car. You know, he doesn't have a replica of that car because he's just like, well, I, I enjoy driving the cars. Why not? Yeah. Ever, you know, um, and um, and uh, you know, and, and, and the, fam, the family don't have replicas. It's just not their thing. And so when you're driving that car, and it's I don't know, twelve, fifteen million euros, something. It's the car that did Le Mans in nineteen sixty yeah. or whenever it was. Um, and you're on track, and people are hurling Cobras and GT forties, and you know all. Uh, up right left and whatever uh and you're just a bit more on the edge because you're like you know ah, forget the value you know this is things significant i don't want to damage this thing um and so it's kind of a bit more sort of uh stressful in a way you know not that you're kind of like you're flippant about a car if it's a replica you don't damage any car really oh and it's still as we've said they're still bloody expensive but you do kind of have that in the back of your mind i don't want to be that guy who yeah. took the front end off that car. it doesn't matter where you finish yeah. you just don't want to be that guy no, exactly. and that's basically at any event ever yeah. like whether it's a car park meet you don't want to be the mustang that takes out the crowd <laughs> no, precisely and so so yeah that, that's it's it's a I think it's a very personal thing, you know. Are the replicas a good thing, a bad thing? Uh, you know, I think it's an inescapable thing. It's happening, uh, you know, and it's kind of pretty entrenched now. Um, but I think you know the key is to you know, they look, are people passionate? Do they enjoy using the cars and, and yeah. driving them? And you know, half of the appeal of social of historic racing is is the social side, you know, off track. Yeah, um, and that doesn't diminish whether you're driving a replica or, or, or not. Um, so, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a very personal choice for people, I think. Um, and you can kind of, kind of criticize it both ways, but I think it is what it I is. I think really. what, what we said, you said at the very beginning, which is it's just down to what you sell it as in the yeah. sense of like, you know, is it real or is it a replica? And if it's a replica, that's completely fine. But say it's a blah, 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 short wellbase, C, R. Yeah. Or whatever. It was end. like you know. And then you know this. Look at your Porsche. Yeah. Right. It, it's not one of the original. It's not real. So it's, it's thirty, kind of, it's forty, a, whatever they were. Um, but you get a lot of pleasure from it. Right? Yeah. I've heard you say in previous podcasts, it's like the last car you'd get yeah, rid of. It is because it gives you enjoyment. And if people who see it don't go, uh, you know, oh, it's an amazing car. Oh, it's a replica. And I've had people. Away. I've had people say that. Yeah, but do they turn around instantly, walk away, and stop talking to yeah, you? Yeah, weird people though. Like, well, I've maybe had, like, person one person. Like that. That, like, in which case, ninety-nine. Do you really want to know that sort of person? No, it's a good. It's a good meter of they're, whether they're snobs. You want to talk yeah. to someone or not? <laughs> yeah, they're just like, snobs. Oh yeah, it's a replica, and then like exactly they, how their face like cringes up or yeah. doesn't. It's a good. It's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one, and you know, I mean, take the best meter. You know, you get like a six-year-old kid. You know, they, hop, you know, they, they, they look at a cool car. You let them sit in it. Yeah, you know, you're just like you know, cool you've car. made their year. They don't. Goes to replica, they're like, I think 
What's the replica? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a car. What are you yeah, about? You know, it's like, but this isn't the one that so-and-so drove. Like, who's he? I've never heard of him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so it, it, yeah, it is what it is, isn't it? it? It is what it is. So you moved on from Goodwood. Yep. Your trading cars. Yeah, I kind of not. Initially, it was kind of quite off market. A lot of stuff, you know, um, well, all the stuff was off market for the first few years. I didn't advertise, never a website or anything like that. Um, didn't even have. Sure, many but you do now www.jaravanwars.com yeah um, and uh, and you know that's kind of I suppose because I thought well a lot of people in the scene know me but maybe there's people outside of it who are new to the scene yeah. and, and you know and also it's a good means to tell people about who you are even if they're not interested in buying car from you um, or you know see what you've got and, and so on um, and uh, I suppose vis- visibility is a kind of a, a good thing and a lot of time you know I even people I know are like hey I check your website every couple of weeks I'm like oh do you yeah. Right, I didn't know. They're like, yeah, I just you know cycle through a load of the websites yeah, yeah. and people I know see what they've they're got bored. and and yeah, exactly. You know, it's like not quite tea break, but you know, they yeah. they do it. Um, and like flipping like, through the magazines like you used to, trade yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Um, they're kind of you know web surfing, uh, cruising the web or whatever. Um, and um, so yeah, I did that. Uh, and uh, then um, I've probably focused predominantly on racing cars, I suppose. Throughout, I've mm-hmm. you know been involved with. Um, the odd road car here and there and I, I'm quite happy to and I like them and so on but inherently I'm sort of I suppose I thought you know, you've only got so much time um, and try and if you can focus on what you really enjoy and for me that's not just racing cars but competition cars um, or special rare cars certain you know one of so many that had a certain body type or whatever because you know the thing I like reason I like competition cars aside from the fact that I love all forms of motorsport is the fact that everyone's unique who drove it, the colours it wore, yeah. the races it did, the results it had, uh, you know, just the battle scars, history along the way. It's kind of part of a rich tapestry of a car. Um, and, um, and also I like the research side of it, and there's more research to do with those cars. Um, but, um, yeah, it's kind of anything and everything, really. Um, I sort of gravitated towards racing cars, and it's sort of um, it's been a bit more heavily loaded towards much newer racing cars um, in recent years, because as the whole endurance racing legends thing has kind of developed in, in its various guises. And, Do you want uh, to quickly explain what yeah, endurance so, racing legends so, is? Uh, it's, a, it's a club um, for, it's a casual club for owners of endurance racing cars, GTs and prototypes um, from predominantly the 90s and 2000s. So let's say after Group C, which was kind of yeah. all dominant form of motorsport. Um, so it's like GT cars from the, like the early 90s was when they started coming out uh, and replacing uh, prototype classes uh, and prototypes from like 94 or so onwards up to um, about 2010. How, have you picked that, how did you pick that? Well, initially it was quite wide day. because we were just doing demonstrations, so it kind of didn't matter yeah. too much. Now we're doing some races this year as well. Um, you have to kind of define it more clearly. So what we did is I wanted to make sure I saw some early some earlier cars out. A lot of the 90s GT cars have soared in value. Yeah blown away uh, and worth millions down for the big ones and so you don't see them out very often but I, I wanted to make but there's still plenty of good value GT2 and prototype cars out there and I wanted to try and make sure we saw some of those out but if you just did eligibility for cars up to you know if like you chucked them all in one class and you did them up to let's say like last year inherently the competitive people are just going to go for the newest cars because there's the quickest yeah, cars right? newest cheapest car you can get so I thought well we want to guard to get there has to be some kind of natural break point between what's a car today is a current car and and you know, the newest car in the series. So I thought a generation at least is good, right? So in, 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 in Ferrari terms, let's say 
the four five eight would act as that buffer yeah, of generation. Four five eight, right. nine nine seven. No, so that's the buffer. So so um, the newest Ferraris you could run, let's say a uh, 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 four thirty or a nine nine seven, and then kind of like the nine nine one or the four five eight was kind of the, in racing terms of buffer generation. Let's yeah. say so. Uh, I picked for GTs. I picked end of two thousand and ten. Um, because, uh, well, really, I suppose up to including 2011, you could say as long as it's the same type of car that raced in 2010, because in 2012, World Endurance Championship came in and yeah. kind of new generation of cars came in. Although some of those cars, like Ferrari 458, ran in 2011, but kind of yeah. a bit grey, wasn't a clear change. Um, and, um, and for prototypes, uh, I did end of 2005, which is effectively kind of pre diesel. Right. Um, just because the diesel cars, there's only really two programs out there Audi and Peugeot, and they're both amazing cars. There's hardly any in private hands. More Peugeots than Audis. Uh, there's only one Audi I think can think of. About like half a dozen Peugeots, uh, but they're like galactically fast. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they are like Starship fast. Uh, and so you get some poor guy in his like nineties, mid nineties GT two car. It might be a bit of a performance gap. Um, so um, so yeah, we did that, and then we we um, we made a few different classes. So we did like GT one and GT two for nineties cars. Uh, GT1, GT2 for 2000 cars, and then one prototype class for the 90s and one prototype class for the 2000s. Just to start with, because you have to draw a line in the sand somewhere, yeah. and we thought, well, all right, well, let's see how it goes. Uh, having listened to owners, that kind of is where we ended up. Uh, but see how it goes after year one and say, right, what worked, what didn't, you know, format, eligibility classes, rule, reg, that sort of thing. You can always tweak stuff going forward. Because I don't think you'll ever get stuff right with something that's developing like this in the first. Yeah, and you've got to wait until you've got like. A solid grid size and yeah and now we've got like it? you know 20 30 cars as such in, in in the grids and you're looking and you're going okay well you know 75 80 percent of them approach a, a gt cars rather and yeah. and probably half of the gt cars are like at least from the 2000s so they seem to be the most popular um partially maybe that's because their values were the most depressed you know they were sort of almost what awful. is the cheapest car what's the cheapest car you can buy and be eligible um, probably, uh, Something super niche. Uh, yeah, I guess the, the, the niche cars are going to be the cheapest, like from the nineties, it might be something like an Ascari, one or two of those, or a Harrier from a GT, quirky little things. I made a few of them, um, uh, you know, from the two thousands, um, how much would a, oh, probably a hundred to 150 grand, okay. something like that. Um, from the two thousands, maybe. Like a TVR, yeah. Um, what is T four hundred R, like Tuscan R, yeah. Um, th- that that type of thing. Um, but to be honest, you can. There's still some fantastic value cars to be had out there, particularly if you're prepared to hunt a bit. Um, and and that's where a lot of the work can be. Um, it, so I mean, for instance, you can buy a Porsche, Porsche, with uh, you know mega history like in terms of the caliber of events mm. um, you know to me it's like Le Mans is top then Daytona and Sebring and then certain like championships or yeah. other individual races like Spa 24 or whatever you can buy a Porsche 996 probably an R or an RS um, with Le Mans history some form or another for 200 to 300,000 pounds yeah. maybe less if you get Which, lucky and a, and a 996 RS is the Old school equivalent of what the current RSR is. Yeah, basically. Is. So, so when Porsche top- brought out the 996 generation, which actually came out in 1999, the first one's race at Le Mans. So two cars, kind of works cars, but they 
they were it was the first time they ran and they were a bit concerned um about uh whether they just flop or whether they do well they, yeah. they, they knew it should work but was it a bit you know brought to the track too soon sort mm. of thing so they entered them with champion and manti i think uh factory contracted drivers yeah. the idea was if they were rubbish they'd be like oh it's not a works effort and and yeah. of course they finished first and second in class and people were like bloody hell these things are good i said like oh, yes yes so they're works cars <laughs> we just lent them to the teams you know to develop for us um and and then in 2000 you could actually as a customer you could buy one same thing basically and they started with 996 so it was confusing and i don't know why exactly there is a backstory about this i can't remember the detail porsche called it the 911 or 996 is known gt3 yeah right even though effectively it's a gt2 car yeah right so in, or in the early years it was gt sort of to the uh, ngt regs so you, you know you had gts and gt was it just C? I can't quite remember now. Um, and so, like but effectively, CSR? it was like maybe it was effectively it was GT. Yeah, there were GT one, GT two. Yeah. So it was kind of a GT two car that was actually had GT three in its model name. But that was because the road cars had GT three. I think it was a reason why they couldn't use a GT two was a turbo cars. Yeah, they couldn't use the GT two model name for a particular reason. I can't remember why now. Um, so they used GT3. Probably like a homologation thing or something. It might have been, and maybe there was someone else that used it. Anyway, yeah. uh, whatever it was, um, they ended up calling the road car the GT3, and because the race car was homologated from the road car, it had to have the same model name. Yeah. So, so they were like, okay, we're calling it a GT3, but that's a bit confusing because it's not a GT3 class car. Let's put something else. So they decided, instead of following the old system of being like RS or RSR, they came up with a new system, and it was going to be the R. So it came up with the R. Yeah. Um, uh, which was were built in 2000. In 2001, the next generation came out, and they just said, well, the RS, right? Okay, kind yeah. of makes sense. There was an R originally in 911. Then there was, there was also an RS. So that made sense. Then for the third iteration, they built that in 2001 and two. Uh, was it and three? I think certainly one and two. And for the third iteration, the R, they called the RSR. That was built for a couple of years as well. When they went to the next generation, they just kind of went straight to the RSR. They, they scrapped the system. Yeah, um, so it was just a nine hundred seven. I mean, that makes a lot more sense. Looking at if I look at cars available now, if someone said I bought a nine nine six GT three RS race car, I'm like, uh, is that like a cup car? Yeah. Well, there's also different because people upgraded them at time, right? Because you know you may not have been able to get an RSR uh, when they brought yeah. the nine nine six out, but um, but you could. Um, uh, you know, send your engine back and have it upgraded to latest spec. You could put a sequential gearbox in instead of a manual. You could wind track seat. Does does that mean the early cars? So the the nine nine six R was yeah. that the first one? Yeah, yeah. Nine nine six GT three. Oh, it was the GT three before. Was it GT three R or GT three? The R was the first one. Yeah. So the R is an unupgraded R that one. Yeah, worth more. Okay, maybe you can just ignore the winning, but worth more than an RS, uh, an upgraded R to RS because it's unmodified. Potentially, I mean, at the moment, it's What's kind it of on history. The, the market's kind of that young that I don't think that differentiation has kind of really cropped up too much. It's more based on history and, and originality. And I guess that there's not a um, hundred of these cars. There's not five hundred of these. No, cars. Unless it's completely like it literally did these races and then it was parked and it's kind yeah. of quite nice to preserve. Then I suppose yeah, already they have some sort of intrinsic premium to that um but you know a lot of cars were like raced quite a lot and because of the nature of the car there's a vin number there's kind of almost two chassis numbers there's a vin number and, and a production number which is shell number yeah. right um and um so 
if you had a crash racing your R, right, in, I don't know, uh, July, yeah. say, and you had a race two weeks later, and you're in the middle of a champ, fighting with a champ, quickest thing to do, you can't get a new car that quick necessarily because they may have allocated them all. Yeah. So you'd have literally stripped all the bits off, taken the days, maybe you send the shell off to Porsche, they send back a new shell with the same VIN attached to it, okay, but a fresh okay. shell off the line with roll cage and everything yeah. ready to go. And you've right? got all the back, bits back on. Exactly. Um, so those cars are usually worth a bit less. Right. Um, but if they've got good history after that shell was replaced, then, it then doesn't matter. they're not worth like, you know, half. They may be worth 15, 20% less yeah. depending on history. Um, but, but presumably it, if it's if got better history, history afterwards, yeah, then it's no, actually probably it's not worth really what great. it is sort yeah, of thing. Exactly. It's as good as a, a car on its original shell. But people just like the original shell aspect. Although you, know, you can argue... If it did several seasons of racing, the original show might be quite tired by that point and go kind of yeah. a bit floppy. And that that's the the angle that up until fairly recently you couldn't race these cars again. No, so they were just gathering dust. I, I mean, mean, they're sort some of some were club race, kind of most pointless. Um, unless you were like super enthusiastic about the car and just wanted to have the car, but now you can race it. Things like having not a tired engine and you know like good components and stuff like that. Does that mean people will have if you've got a significant car, I guess it depends on the value of the car and most people, let's say if the car's worth, I don't know, if it's not considered a huge amount to them, they'll probably just keep it as it is and race it. Or if people start swapping stuff out, like it's, engines. Uh, and it sort of depends. Some cars, um, like Porsches particularly, stick on that on that theme. Um, Porsche life their engines um, because they're quite dramatic and efficient like that. Yeah. Um, and so they used to recommend in period that uh, engines should, should be rebuilt after 30 hours of running. Yeah. And gearboxes are roughly the same, but particularly engines. And on the 906, like the rods and the valves are titanium. So, you know, you, you might have been, if you, because they assumed that, you know, you'd have a, that's based on a pro driver, yeah. max RPM, average shift, yeah. driving it quite Beating hard. It. Yeah. <laughs> and they like, we've tested this to death. We know it lasts at least 30 hours plus a little bit. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of their guide. It might've been fine for like, you know, 35, yeah, but you don't want to be. But you're chancing around if something, something lets go, it could do a load of damage and you know be much more expensive than just sending off for a rebuild, right? Could destroy your engine. Um, and so, um, yeah, so that uh, people are kind of mindful of that now, particularly. So when people are buying cars, hours on engines or or trackable uh, hours on engines, particularly in gearboxes, yeah. also um, are kind of important to people because you know an engine rebuild on even like a 996, it seems expensive without. Twenty five thousand, something like that, maybe maybe up to thirty thousand. Um, uh, but you know, if you think about thirty hours, people are like, oh, that's not long, really. It's like, well, actually, that's probably more than that's two and a half seasons of racing if you yeah. factor in a bit of testing. Don't do something like them on. Yeah, no, but I mean, in historic terms, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's say, like, uh, at the moment, there's two hours of track time in total at the events we go to for yeah. us, right? And so, um, if you say, okay, you've got five events, that's ten hours. That's you know, even yeah. if you don't, if you don't do any testing, that's three seasons of racing on an engine, mm. which is you know, pretty good mileage. Um, yeah, and if you if you you know that because you know it, thirty hours, it's tracked. So you go, I'm doing two hours this week, yeah. and just just, yeah. just like basically set aside the money like a sensible person rather than wait until the bill at the end. Exactly, and but you know, some people I know um, have you know pegged the revs back and they change gear five hundred or you know whatever RPM, yeah. and they're not being as hard on the cars they've got loads more out i mean one guy has a 996 rs he was telling me uh, a few days ago he had it rebuilt uh and at the time put steel 
uh, rods and valves in it instead of titanium. Yeah. And he said that engine did 57 hours of running and it didn't blow up. And they were like, okay, we guess probably we really should rebuild it now because it's still working yeah. fine, but it'll yeah. blow up at some point, right? Um, but he, well, he wasn't using the car maybe as hard as a pro would. Yeah. Right? So uh, it's easy to kind of follow the guidebook and then you kind of, you know, it's not to say that they don't blow up after five hours. Anything can happen. Yeah. You, but, you know, as a rule of thumb, that's kind of a guide. Um, and I think people like that about, you know, um, the, the, the more modern cars are a bit easy to kind of track and, and yeah. kind of measure. Because the, so the engineering, the development was just done to a different degree, um, uh, more refined. Um, but it kind of depends on the manufacturing, you know. Yeah, for those of people who haven't come across race cars and this sort of thing, like pretty much all all race cars, I'm guessing, basically have hours. Their engine is done in yeah, hours. Yeah, some are measured in kilometres. Uh, some manufacturers measure them. Like if, right. you, if you talk to people about Ferraris, they typically go, oh, well, it's 5,000 kilometres. Yeah. Or however many thousand kilometres. Um, uh, and some focus more on hours. Um, and then some life components like, you know, wishbones or whatever yeah. and, and, and so on. Um, because I suppose, you know, with an engine, it's more maybe more common to measure it in hours because you could have it sat there in the paddock running it. That's yeah. using up time. You're not wearing out wishbones and suspension parts and yeah. so on doing that. It's only when you're on track. So it's understandable that you might use the two. Um, uh, and some are kind of quite kind of vague, like GT cars are typically, you know, sometimes they use standard production parts off the road car. Yeah. Like on a 996, the clutch pedal is the same plastic clutch pedal yeah. of a road car. The steering column is the same steering column. Um, but then other bits and pieces are bespoke to the race cars. And then obviously in prototypes, everything's kind of custom and, and so the lifing is much more critical. Um, and so, I mean, even one guy uh, is a specialist. Um, uh, well, I say specialist, and he's a specialist. He's a kind of guru. He worked for Audi Sport for ages. And he was telling me that back in the day when they were running the Audi, he was working for one of the Audi R8 prototype teams in the early 2000s. And they uh, did Le Mans, right? Um, and the, the, the wheels were lifed to be like three and a half thousand or whatever it was kilometers. Yeah. And Le Mans was like pretty much that. And then they happened to go to a test after Le Mans. And we're like, we use the same wheels, right? They'd be fine. Look, they're fine. And they were like 20 kilometers over the life of yeah. what Audi the had recommended. Life or whatever, yeah. And the car just happened to come in and they said, they just took off the wheels, checked the wheels, and one of the spokes had failed completely. Like, okay, they really are critical on this. At <laughs> that point, I was like, right, you do not question anything yeah. how it comes from Audi in terms of life. Yeah, someone has thought about this uh, a lot. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, you don't, something failing at the speed you can be doing in a race car might, you know, like a spoke failing might not sound yeah. like much to someone when you're doing 200 miles an hour. Um, it, it can be the difference between, you know, hitting a wall at 200 miles an hour or not hitting a wall. The end of you and the car or not really. Um, so yeah. And also it must be, it's so tricky with that sort of stuff is because you can't, people think they can, but you can't look at something and tell whether it's like internally. No, I mean, I nearly worn out. Like, uh, my dad's looked at plenty of stuff as an engineer over the the years and I've looked at stuff as just kind of, you know, is it burnt? an idiot? Yeah, you know, going, oh, it looks right to me, you know. And you look closely, and you're like, yeah, it looks fine to me. And then you send it off for crack testing, um, which is something we kind of decided. So to what is implement. crack testing? Crack testing is know. when you send off a metal component, um, or um, to test if there's any cracks visible, or you know, if they're more extensive than you might be able to see, or if there's some basically like, like X-ray or something like that. Different way. So there's some people do um, uh, kind of like an MRI in a way. 
um, uh, x-ray, some good old-fashioned um, way, and I can't remember all the technical terms. They're in our regs if you want to look them up, um, for the different names um, where you literally, you know, put a liquid on and it, it turns like purple or whatever yeah. if there's a crack and, it, and like it focuses around the crack. Um, and, uh, and some is, um, there's another way, I can't remember exactly what it is now, um, but there's different ways. So some might need to be bare metal, some can work through paint. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it might be that there's a tiny flaw, like a stress point and a tiny crack that's hidden that you can't see. Um, or it might be, there's a tiny crack that doesn't look like much, but maybe it's, you know, yeah, it's or um, and so you do that to, to, to show them up. Um, and, um, yeah, cause it could start as a like millimeter crack and, you know, it takes one impact on a curb or something to something yeah, like a crack on your windscreen, or right? You get a stone chip on your windscreen, doesn't look like much, and then you hit a pothole or something, and suddenly it goes all the way across yeah. your windscreen. It's that kind of thing. Only that sounds like Chris going to send you off the road if that happens. But if it fails, like a wishbone or an upright or a wheel or something fails at 200 something miles an hour, you know, you can be. In- is, is that much more of an issue with the modern stuff than it is with older stuff? Do they crack test <sighs> old cars or? Uh, yes and no. It's it not so often mandatory um so you would have thought the older stuff actually would need it more because yeah, it's, it's older. You know, yeah like 50 60 70 yeah. 80 years old in some cases um and a lot of the good specialists will crack their stuff now anyway um to be sure but it's not mandatory okay um uh, you know is that because the parts last longer because they're more durable because they weren't engineered to be rugged. you know within an inch of what's acceptable or whatever i may be to some degrees, uh, it's just that technology and know-how yeah. wasn't around at the time, I think, more than anything. Um, and, and, you know, when these cars were new, you know, at least endurance racing legends cars, uh, they came with lifing. You know, mm. uh, I'm not sure like a D-type from the 50s or whatever would, have, would, would, would come with lifing, right? Um, so I, it's, it, it's, it's a good thing. It's a bit of a hassle from an engineer's perspective. You have to pull the suspension off and brakes and various other things. So if a car gets, but at the moment, well. all the cars that race in ERL, have to be crack tested. Yeah. Now, does that crack testing last for an amount of time? Uh, yeah, a couple of years, two years. Uh, we've also said, look, you know, re- re- renew your fuel cell um, because um, it's a bit like a helmet. You know, they might be fine for 10, 15 years, yeah. but eventually they'll start to deteriorate. Um, and so you know, the, the manufacturers say, okay, from the date of production, this fuel cell is valid for five years. Yeah. You can then have pu- pull them out uh, and and have them inspected, and if they're okay, they'll extend it for another two years. Yeah. But then you know you you could still use it if you wanted, but it's not deemed acceptable for racing. Yeah. So um, you you can't you won't be able to use it in a race, but you could use it crack there or whatever. Um, but we decided to put that in because you know on the one hand you're like oh, it's pretty unlikely and on the other hand let's say you know you go into a corner your wishbone fails in the car that you didn't renew the, f- the fuel cell in and let's say there's a tiny floor in the fuel cell that you haven't spotted either it's deteriorated it's not quite as rubbery and you know malleable as, as it was when new a bit more brittle let's say and that pitches you off into the wall and the fuel tank explodes and you get trapped in the car you burn to death right you know, that's in the worst case scenario, not a good scenario it's kind of pretty unlikely but it's certainly not impossible to happen um, so you're like okay well you know it it's a bit like people complaining about, you know, the cost of a fire extinguisher yeah. or a better, you know, a fuel tank or a helmet or something. You're like, look, you know, if you're trapped in a burning car, you know, yeah. would you pay a hundred thousand pounds for your fuel tank to have not exploded? Yeah. Yes. Is almost invariably the answer. Let's have a death wish. So it's kind of like, all right. And unfortunately it seems to be the case with GT cars 
even the very latest, greatest ones set on fire. Yeah. It and, and it hap- like it just happens. Yeah, it, um, it, it can happen. I, I've known it to happen to someone, and I, it wasn't even a you know, it wasn't even in that instance a fuel cell thing. It was a you know something failed, and you know oil I think was yeah. gone onto turbocharge and burnt things to the ground. Um, and sometimes you know, no matter what you do, they they go up in flames, and there's not you know you won't be able to change it, but you can certainly stack the odds in your favor. Let's say it's like risk management, you know. Yeah. Um, it's like a well-prepared car is inherently less risky and things will go wrong less than one someone's just put some air in. And yeah, I think that's, there's something that, that put me off um, driving, old, yeah, driving older cars, but driving old cars fast, whether that's racing or even just having an older car. Like I know with my, old, my 911 that it's pretty damn good nick and it yeah. gets a lot of attention. Yeah. at least like once a year. So I know I can drive it pretty hard and it shouldn't fall apart. Yeah. And, but like if I was racing something and I, you know, you, know, you watch and like a revival race or something, the amount of times people's like brakes, like fail, 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 yeah. not just like s- slowly stop working. Yeah. And then that, well, I, and things like that. The idea of that people terrifies cars, me. I think maybe almost to a degree harder now than they may have done yeah, in period, and I think pros would have pushed cars hard in period. Um, um, but that was kind of their job, you know, drive yeah. until it broke, sort of thing. Um, and, and as fast as you can, and you know, you win at all costs, sort of thing. Um, but I think certain things change, and technological advancements happen, so that cars are stressed in different ways now. You know, you put a roll cage in a car that never had a roll cage. You're yeah. stiffening the chassis. You're putting different loads through suspension and everything maybe you're is, carrying yeah. more corner speed and that's loading up m- more mechanical grip and tires are better yeah tires yeah even though the, te- the the design hasn't changed apparently they're the same tires you know you've got you you're able to corner faster in he- uh, because of other things you've done with the car um so different stress is being put on yeah you see stuff uh, fail and also sometimes it could be because you know maybe components are not made in the same way they used to be and they're made more cheaply or from less quality materials or whatever. And so or, you, know, you said you've got, you've upgraded some components that you've had to upgrade and that yeah. just puts more stress uh, on the other ones. And I mean, for instance, like I used to race a bunch of cars um, uh, at one time that had drum brakes, not disc yeah. brakes, right? So, you know, people kind of um, know how that works in you know, a big kind of drum. Basically, usually aluminium. doesn't. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. How the theory of them works, has to say, because when they do work, they don't work for very long at racing speed. Um, but, but even up to, you know, like rear brakes on cars, sometimes now, maybe not now, but not long ago, they were still drum yeah, brakes, they, yeah. little ones, you know, for a long time. Um, and so it was like a drum and two shoes pushed against it with brake lining. Right. Um, and, uh, uh, so for, for a long time, up until even like 10 years ago, they, the, the, the lining material was made from asbestos, of course, mm. bad stuff. Right. You know, and so on. So that kind of got, it was made legal to produce it but there was still a long it was made legal quite a long time ago yeah. but um there was lots of stock still kicking around it takes yeah. a while to use up and so we'd use those in racing cars because it worked fairly reliably maybe terrible to breathe in and yeah. so on but actually you know it slowed the car down quite effectively and you didn't get brake fade too badly you did get brake fade but it wasn't like That's a cliff bad. edge yeah. brake fade um so it mean that you know your brakes would last for sort of five or six laps fairly in a diminishing capacity instead of yeah. suddenly stopping working at like three laps or whatever right uh, which, by the way, is really not an enjoyable thing when you're sitting towards a corner and your foot just goes clunk to the floor and you're like, oh, it's not doing anything. Yeah. Um, 
uh, stay under control. <laughs> no, I'm panicking. Right. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you know, you could, um, right. it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't make any difference. Um, so then, you know, you either stack it hugely, you'll become a hero with a massive power slide. Everyone's yeah. like, Whoa, amazing. And like, I really didn't mean to do that. Um, but, uh, so we were using the, the, the stock of aspects right, of brake pads, right? And then they ran out and the, the team I was driving for, they had to use like a new material and it was rubbish. Mm. You know, I, I had one on me at Le Mans, funnily enough, um, like the whole shoe literally just like crumbled yeah. uh, when I hit the brakes and it just jammed the wheel like someone putting a stick oh, through a spoke. Yeah, that's good. Uh, yeah, which um, didn't cause an accident. I don't know how I didn't have an accident. It kind of spun the car around and nearly rolled it and so on. Didn't touch anything though, remarkably. Um, which was completely that more accident than, uh, well, not accident, but it, was, it was, certainly wasn't due to talent. Um, I was too busy, you know, um, you know, uh, thinking I was about to die. Um, but, 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 but so materials can be less, you know, of inferior quality, I suppose is the point. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, uh, it's not really too much of an issue with more modern race cars, I suppose. You know, it's like the, the beauty of, um, some manufacturers now, like literally, you know, um, a Porsche theme here, but it's it, you know, the Germanic and like you look through the manual and you ring up your Porsche dealer and say, I need this and this and this for this, this 15 year old Porsche race car. Yeah. No problem. You got the parts numbers. Yep. Fine. Bosch will be with you next week. Oh, great. <laughs> okay. Does that mean that some, some cars, and we obviously we're going to know the answer, obviously answer this. Some part, cars are much easier to run than yeah. others. Yeah. Um, presumably the Porsche is a, amongst yep. the easiest to run. Yeah. You can still get bits of Ferraris. You just have to go through certain companies. And so, and inherently they're, they're Italian and they're run by fantastic people and so on. But, it's maybe not quite as efficient a system, yeah. at least. Um, but uh, but then there's some where it's like, look, that's you know, there were five cars made, and we didn't have. There's not like a warehouse full of parts for these. You know, they make mm. two hundred of them or whatever. So once they use, they get used up. That's it. If you can't use an equivalent part from a different type of car, you're into the territory of having them made. Yeah. Um, which is pretty kind of unusual, actually, because a lot of the consumable components, at least, are actually quite. Similar or the same, yeah. Like a brake pad is a similar yeah, sort of thing. Exactly, yeah. You know, the you use Brembo or you know whatever, and yeah, just... are the 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 if anyone has a chance, I'd heartily recommend checking out an event that has either you know there's a few different groups that do the same sort of yeah. thing, but basically the endurance racing legends group at any of the Peter Auto events or yeah stuff like that. Come yeah. along and check out the cars because I didn't realize people still drove these cars and I like I'm probably quite a late bloomer into the car world yeah. and like endurance racing and stuff like that and I didn't realise that people you could buy like a 997 RSR which yeah. for me is like one of the coolest things ever and then drive it on a on a track day or yeah. I didn't even know that people want that you could own the cars I kind of always thought they were owned mm. by like Porsche or some you know I don't yeah. know some team somewhere um, but you can turn up in anything from yeah, like and it, well, a TVR there wasn't or, or a McLaren F1 and go to, for a track to be honest, you couldn't. Um, and you know, people say, "Well, what was it like the lightning bolt moment as such for starting this?" And it, it it's well, it kind of sort of came back gradually because you know after I left left Goodwood, um, a friend who organises the Silverstone Classic um, uh, said, um, oh, "It'd be great to get you to organise a bit of content at the event, something kind of fresh." Rather than the existing grids we yeah. have, what can you suggest? And I kind of suggested like five or different 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 types of category of cars, let's mm. say. And one of them was '90s GT cars, 
He's like, oh, like what? I'm like, you know, McLaren F1, 993 GC2, that kind of stuff. Yeah. It was, you know, GC racing was mega in the period of BPR, FIGT, you know, like, and you never see, okay, you see some of the cars, like the more exotic thing every now and then at a festival of speed. Yeah. But I said, like, there were like 30 cars in the race or whatever back in the day. Where did they all go? And I've played, you know, as many as I could on the PlayStation. Exactly. <laughs> I never got to see them in period because my dad was like, I don't want to see that modern crap. You know, uh, uh, and and so and I didn't have drive have a driving license, so you know I was like auto sport. Yeah, you know, the internet was too painful to even bother looking at photos of cars on a five minutes loaded web page back in the old days. <laughs> uh, and uh, anyway, so uh, I he said, okay, great, let's do that. So start doing some research. So we did like you know I did a bit of research, and it was a contracting for the, his event. Uh, and the first year we had like twenty eight cars, six McLaren F one GTRs, and I think we maybe had one. Seventh that wasn't running for some reason. Yeah. Um, the next year we had like one or two because you know the values even taken off that yeah. much in that those that time period. Um, and so we did it the next year and that was fine and, and successful. People loved it. And then the third year I was like, well, why don't I open this up to like later cars and and you know a bit more have, give it a bit more variety of cars from the two thousands maybe. Um, and also by that point owners were like, this is amazing. Nobody else is doing something like this for yeah. us. But can we go to like more than one event, please? And I'm like, I'm kind of doing it for this event. Yeah. But I suppose if they don't mind and there's another event that would be welcome, that would welcome us, then why not? Oh, okay. All right. So I spoke to them and they're like, yeah, go ahead. Uh, as long as we're the only event in the UK you come to. Okay, fine. Uh, then uh, in, in, in the fourth year, they kind of lost a load of track time. I think basically like the marshals didn't like their... Uh, their day being so long, they did have a very long day, and Marshalls are super important, and they're volunteers, and so yeah. on. So, you know, push them so far. I ditch some of the cars that don't have seatbelts, personally. <laughs> yeah, you know, you kind of need them. You know, when you're upside down in a burning car, yeah. you want someone to come running to the rescue. Um, and and they're amazing people. Um, but um, so they didn't have track time for us in the fourth year, so we decided to go to a couple other events. Um, and, and in fact, I think the fourth year was uh, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. So it was the year we met. Yeah. And by that point, we kind of formalized it into a sort of a club of sorts um, and to give it a bit of an identity. And we decided to do a track day just to see how that went at Rockingham. And that was cool. Um, and then we went to the Spa Classic and we went to uh, Dijon, I think. Had three events, just as demonstrations again, and kind of our standalone thing. And then for the next year, um, uh, Spa and Dijon were Peter Auto events, right? And, and Peter Auto, those who don't know, um, is run, uh, spearheaded by a guy, Patrick Peter. And the um, he's kind of become sort of the, the leading or one of the two leading people, organizers in historic racing of events, you know, like series, different series. So he has like six events. And within that, there's a number of different grids that go to each of those events, series. Yeah, you need and, like a special book to decipher what they are. Yeah, it's a degree. Uh, and it's kind of easy for me because I'm familiar for, with them all. Um, but you get like a grid for 60s touring cars and GT, and another one for GT cars and a grid for 70s touring cars and then one for like prototypes of this period. This so, is not the names of the grids. No, it's not. It's just <laughs> in generic like loose car terms, right? It's this, it's got four wheels and it's this shape or it hasn't got a roof or whatever. Um, and then he does uh, things like Le Mans Classic and the Tour Auto, which are kind of well-known events in the room, yeah. right? right? And um, anyway, Patrick, years ago, winding back to the 90s, um, was doing kind of smaller events like he'd already been doing a torto rally and so on and then he got together with uh with um stefan rattel everyone knows now from blanc plan sro fame mm-hmm. right? stefan rattel organization he's like the mastermind of modern day gt racing really 
um, for, uh, for, for a few reasons. Uh, and uh, Jürgen Bath. Jürgen Bath was a Porsche Works racing driver and then managed their motorsport department in the 90s, certainly, and maybe, I don't know exactly when he retired, maybe 2000s. Um, and they got together and created what's now known as the BPR, Bath Peter Rattel Global GT Series, right? right. Which ran from uh, 94, 95, 96. Um, and uh, basically after Group C, which was the dominant formula, was, was, was kind of died. Um, there were loads of particularly amateur G- and GT drivers who were like, well, we want to drive somewhere and we want to drive in cars that are kind of a bit more approachable, not like extreme prototype. Yeah. And also cheaper run and so on. So it came out in that. So you'd take a standard road car in a loose term, um, uh, the ultimate version of the road car model, and you race prepare it. So the early cars were actually pretty standard race cars that had been raced. Uh, road cars have been race prepared. Sort of like cut variant type thing. Kind of, yeah. So you'd buy like a 964 RS yeah. and then, you know, they'd make an RSR version, which was, you know, beefed up a bit and so on, but the core of the car yeah. was the same. Um, unlike now, like not Porsche's not RSIs, it's almost a prototype with a roof. It's nothing yeah. like the road car at all. And the number of components that are transferable is, you know, it's tiny, negligible. Um, and, and that took off very quickly, uh, but it was, it was, it wasn't something that had in, in its first year or two had works manufacturer involvement, like manufacturers build a car, yeah. you or I would buy it. We'd be set up a race and we'd go racing. Yeah. Right. Then in, by like 96, uh, it had got, you know, the manufacturers got involved. So Porsche had a works team. Um, BMW didn't kind of have a works team per se, but they had, it kind of was a works team running a McLaren with the BMW engine, mm. the Phoenix team. Uh, Mercedes came in, um, in, in, uh, 97, by which point it switched to becoming the FIA GT Championship because Patrick Peters' historic business, racing business, was taking off. He wanted to do that. Jürgen wanted to focus on the I know, Porsche activities, I guess. And Stefan kind of ran with it, and it was called the FIA GT Championship, GT World Championship, and, and he took over the running of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and 97, 98 was like the zenith of GT racing. Um, and uh, anyway, so um, it was kind of a natural fit to getting back to the, my earlier point, to being with Peter Auto, right? Um, and also I knew that a key part of helping this scene develop was getting the cars, um, building up a good organic uh, support base of passionate owners um, and getting them on the billing, or our club on the billing, of a good historic race organiser. Because what that would mean is that cars that have been in the doldrums value-wise you know, maybe, you know, 50 grand, a couple hundred yeah. grand, two, 300 grand, let's say, um, where to, to make it, to buy it, make it, you know, track ready, let alone race ready, to restore it basically, would mean often people are in negative equity. Yeah. So it only happened that every now sense. and then if someone was mad keen on it. Um, and uh, uh, so I knew if we got on the billing of a, a, a big historic organiser, um, a lot of people who race in their other series would look at these and go, hold on a minute, I can buy a Porsche or a Ferrari or an Aston or whatever with mega history for a fraction of the cost of an equivalent car from an earlier decade. Yeah. They're too cheap. And of course, that happened pretty quickly. And so within two or three years, the values shot up. In some cases, you know, quite a lot. You can still find plenty of bargains out there um, if, you, if you hunt for it. Um, but yeah, I mean... A GT, like a DBR9 Aston Martin, two years ago, you could buy a car with great history for like seven or eight hundred thousand, six or eight hundred thousand pounds. Yeah. Now they're like one, one million to 
one and a half million pounds or yeah. more. Um, you know, there, there, lots of other things have gone up equivalent yeah. terms as well. Um, so which is which is good because as they have gone up, people have been able to justify properly driving investing stuff, in, yeah. in restoring them, and and they're still you know in positive equity. So that that's kind of good. Um, and uh, you know now we've got I don't know haven't counted like fifty plus no it must be. 60, 70 cars, I guess. Um, had 77 at Le Mans last year. So it's maybe it's more like 80. Um, that are in kind of, you know, ready to go order. Because um, it's, I suppose the difference also I, I knew is once the, the biggest step change in any kind of category that's going from being new to part of historic racing is when they, it's not an age thing. It kind of used to be, oh, and 20 years old would be collectible. Old boy. Yeah. Well, that kind of doesn't apply anymore. Um, because what is historic racing? I mean, I'm as old as the oldest Group C car, which yeah. is an embraced category of historic racing. I'm not historic, yeah. so I kind of vintage, historic, classic. Maybe I'm just in denial. Um, <laughs> I think as terms don't really apply anymore. I think historic racing, in a broader sense, means like the scene. Like you don't just go to win at all costs. It's more social yeah. focused. You, it's people not people are still competitive. Cars. No, they're still competitive and they're serious in some cases. But it's really about having fun, being passionate about the cars and so on. It's less to do with just an age thing. Uh, age of the cars, anyway. Um, but I knew that more, uh, a more reliable barometer is once they became collectible. And, and that you can tell that perception changed when people would, instead of just owning a car, buying a car and leaving it in white with Joe Bloggs yeah. you know, fish and chip chop down the side, which is what it may have had when it was raced in a club championship after its mm. initial career, they go to a lot of effort to research it and put it back into an original livery it ran at Le Mans or yeah. Daytona or wherever, right? Um, and Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And to be meticulous, get all the stickers right and that sort of That's when the cars become collectible in my mind. Um, and people are buying it, therefore, because of its racing, yeah. history, not just because it's a such and such car. Um, so, um, and, and, and that happened certainly two, three years ago. Um, uh, so it's it's developing you know, in a popular way. Now it kind of feels like it's got its own momentum. You know, you, you were at Le Mans Classic last year. We had 77 cars, I think. Yeah, it's wicked. Almost Walking around but, the, the paddock and just looking at all the cars. And they, it's just mega stuff. It's all straight pipe. They all shoot flames. They're all just like the ultimate versions of things that if you're young, you'll still see like, you'll still see the road car around yeah. that this is the race car and, of. I think that's that's why a lot of people, and also a lot of the cars were featured in early PlayStation games. And I think yeah, exactly. Like, I played that car in Gran Turismo or whatever. 
Um, and uh, and actually, a friend has a load of Viper racing cars. And when we did that track day, he let me out for like five laps to toodle around in his Viper, one of his original Vipers. And that was like a highlight car to me. I have all the cars I've driven because I, I played that car for more hours than a healthy yeah. uh, on, on Gran Turismo. Uh, I think it was Gran Turismo. Um, and, and I'm like, I'm actually in the, it's the same color and everything. It's the interior. Yeah, it's like all yeah. the same. So I get so many people make that comment yeah. about stuff. Like, it's not, oh, I remember seeing one at some race. It's, I drove that car for hours and hours and hours at home. <laughs> it's like the whole PlayStation generation yeah. thing. And it, it, it's kind of interesting because I suppose that never happened with any other it didn't exist before. Cars, you know, so, um, and now, you know, people like play all sorts of racing games and simulator games and so on. And Gran Turismo probably looks quite basic compared to the sim games you can get. And But there's still Gran Turismo now. Sports and These cars are yeah. still in them. Yeah. And interesting. Like, I wonder if that, if you fast forward another 10 years. Yeah. And that, I would say that's when the people that play stuff on PlayStations are probably, some of the people are really starting to earn quite a lot of money or have a lot of money. The cars that they could play on the PlayStation when they were young, yeah, potentially are going to be super collectible. Well, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, sometimes, like, you know, if you speak to guys in their 50s, 60s, 70s, it's like, you know, why do you have the cars you do? It's like, I remember seeing that in the showroom when it was new yeah. and I was seven years old, or that one drove past me, or whatever. My dad's mate had one or something. I think maybe in the future it's going to be like, you know, well, that was my garage on my yeah. PlayStation or something. And so now I've got the real thing. Yeah, 100% um, that will so happen. So it, it's kind of, it's, 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 it's interesting to see how it's developing. Um, and um, yeah, you can see that by the people who come along to the grids, there's a lot of you know, younger people came along um, uh, to uh, the, the, the events we go to. Um, and I remember a couple of years ago on a message when we went to Spa Classic from some Italian guy and he was like, you know, myself and three mates, we're driving 1,000 kilometers yeah, from, from, from Italy because you've got these two cars and we've never seen them in person and we want to see them and it's like, oh, wow. They're it's driving amazing. around. Turns out it was, I think that guy who's on like, like loads of YouTube videos of something Steph Bozzi 19 or something yeah. like that who uploads loads of videos of cars going around Monza and I was like, oh, you know, that's, that's kind I've of... I've seen these videos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it was kind of, uh, that was, uh, that, 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 it's just, it's nice to see that and people are, people are enjoying and sharing their passion in a different way from, in terms of our age group. Mm. Um, you know, already I feel like, sort of, oh, I don't want to say 37, I'd like a bit of a tech dinosaur, you know, but it's cool to see the way people are capturing and sharing and enjoying, um, content now, yeah. just as enthusiasts, um, let alone, you know, when they get the skill level of, you know, actually professional like, you know, you. And, you know, you're blowing my mind telling me about 360 cameras. Yeah. And I'm like, what? I don't even know how that works. But that sounds extremely cool. You know, um, so, um, yeah, there's... Uh, it is cool. It is really cool. And something I remember, like, going to the first Peter Auto event, which I think was a Spa Classic, was the yeah. first one I went to. I was just blown away by, one, the cars that we had, like, running in, in ERL. Um, like there was an F1 GTR, I think that first year. Yeah, long tail. Yeah. Um, like just, uh, I'm just like, what the hell? This someone's driving this around a track, um, and then looking around the rest of the paddock and suddenly seeing like some cars that I knew existed and like might have had like a little model of. Yeah, and then that's the car. The car is there racing around or seeing the Group C stuff. But talking to some of the owners, 
I, I don't know why. I sort of assumed that people would, you know, they'd have one car and they'd go to the event and they would race their car with like a friend or something. And then I quickly realized that like a lot of them have a bunch of different cars because yeah. they're like, well, I'm there for the weekend and I quite like to do a lot of racing. So they might have with a mate or whatever, three or four cars in a bunch of different categories and they're racing literally all day, every day. Yeah. Like, oh as a theme, God. as a theme, they're, they're, they're cash rich, time poor. Yeah. Very. So, you know, if you've got, if anyone's got so. family, you know, you're like, you know, Hey darling, for your wife, I'm, I'm going to be gone for like 12 weekends this year. Probably not going to go down too well, but you might be able to get away with four, five, maybe yeah. six weekends. And so you want to cram as much into that time, or if you run a big business or whatever, as you can, because uh, the time is away is still the time away, yeah. whether you drive one car or four cars. I mean, if you drive four cars, you're pretty much hopping out of one and into yeah, another, two, but two or three, certainly. Um, and, and the interesting thing is people go, well, what's the demographic? Well, it's actually kind of almost a 50-50 mix, I think, of guys of our age group in their 30s or let's say 40s, um, and some in their 20s, um, but, but in our age range, let's say, um, who maybe are unlike me and didn't grow up around historic cars, um, but they've you know, made some money now and they want to enjoy cars that were out of reach yet current when they were in their yeah. youth, right, in the 90s or 2000s. Um, uh, uh, but they wouldn't, you know, they, they wouldn't take that money and go, I need a 1955 racing car or yeah. whatever. Don't even, uh, Whilst they might think they look cool, they just don't even feature. They just—it's too big a jump to make, right? Um, and um, and so, uh, th- but they get cars from this age range, nineties, two thousands, let's say. Um, yet, guys are also in it who are in their fifties and sixties or seventies in some cases. Um, and you you ask them why they're in it, and they're like, "Yeah, I remember the cars when they were new, but that's kind of not really why I'm into the cars so much." Because they may be already racing in historics, right, in a much older car. And they look and they go, well, these things are a lot safer to start with. And generally, they work more reliably, yeah. you know, in terms of brakes, you know, <laughs> yeah. for starters. They stop. Um, and, uh, and also, they look at them and, and they benchmark them against equivalent cars from an earlier decade, like we talked about before. And they go, in many cases, they're kind of still pretty undervalued. That will stop at some point. Yeah. But still, it's a new challenge for them. It's a new driving experience. Mm. Like people, I, I grew up in driving old cars with bad brakes and rubbish, you know, tires from kind of effectively they didn't really change or get developed since the 1950s. Mm. Uh, uh, and people are like, well, what do they like to drive? I'm like, well, most of the time they work. Um, there's got, you know, in, in the dry, they've got not too much grip in the wet. They've got barely any, um, you know, as much grip as you might, grip, grip as you might have on winter tires and snow. Um, yeah, so, you know, they're like, well, how is a, a new car, now that you've driven a few of them, like to drive? How does it differ? And I'm like, well, it's it's not any more or less enjoyable. It's just different. And yeah. it's a different challenge. It's like more about precision and consistency. And, you know, there's this thing called like telemetry that's a dark art. I'm like, wow, I'm just used to a pit board that's like a lap out of date. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like, great, I've done a 210. <laughs> I didn't even remember how that lap went. Um, barely the lap I just did. Yeah. Um, but telemetry is like, hit, you know, you, you lifted here if you, and, and yeah. that costs you five mile per hour that's at the amazing. end of the straight. And, and you're like, what? Wow, that's amazing. You don't have that on old cars, really. I mean, you can fit V-boxes and things that tell you a bit about it, but you don't get like full suite of telemetry, mm. um, which in the, the newer cars you can get more and more of. Um, so, yeah, it's just different. And you get a lot of people like, you know, I've met quite a few people that are there. It's a dad and they've come, their son yeah, comes along. Yeah, we've got and a then, couple of guys like that. And 
obviously the kid will have, if it, this is the story, they've probably grown up with a bunch of the cars. But then also, if you're a younger person, you're like, yeah, but how about we get one of these, like, they seem sort of cheap when you compare them to the other stuff, but like something that I really, yeah. like, is more current. I specifically I had exactly that. I'd mentioned, um, this is a big collector in, 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 in the scene and races loads and historics. And I'd uh, happened to talk to like his mechanic and said, hey, you know, just so I mentioned, yeah, there's a few of these different cars I know that are available, much newer endurance racing cars, um, in case the boss might find them appealing. And he's like, eh, he's not really into that sort of stuff. Um, I'll mention it, but he's not into it. I'm like, yeah. okay, fine. No worries. Um, and then a couple of months later, uh, in January, uh, he rings me up again and he says, uh, he sent me a list of everything that, you know, sale of that modern type. I'm yeah. Like, I thought you told me that the boss didn't like new stuff like that. It's like, well, kind of doesn't really, but he spent Christmas with his boys who are like, I don't know, late teens, early twenties. Yeah. And it dawned on him. They must've seen like some of our content from an event or yeah. something. They were banging on about how great it looked. And it dawned on him that whilst they loved the old cars, he was that, yeah. that he liked and preferred. They really were mad about the newer stuff or say newer stuff, yeah. you know, stuff in the nineties and two thousands. Yeah. And he basically said, look, he built up, built up his car collection effectively to be for his boys in the future. Yeah. They can enjoy it now. They can enjoy it together. But ultimately it's for them. Cause you know, there's a lot of, wealth tied up yeah. in significant cars let's say in some cases uh and so he said well, actually he's told me he wants to um add one or two of those cars to the collection because he always find yeah find them more interesting and i thought mm, that's quite interesting i could maybe see that happening more and more for sure um so uh yeah i think the future's bright and and you know there's another series that, that kind of popped up they, they they decided they started doing activities for these type of cars after we did but they started doing races before we did, um, which I suppose is is flattering that they, you know, they kind of actually picked a very similar name, quite amusingly. Um, series run by the Masters, who are like, you know, one of the other big historic race yeah. organisers, um, but but have like Formula One where Peter Auto doesn't, for instance. Um, and they're probably, you know, more focused on like British uh, entrance, whereas Peter Auto's entrance. And a lot of prototypes, don't they? Yeah, and, and um, like I say, they've got, Certainly one big, maybe two Formula One grids now. Um, so um, yeah, they're, they're just it's you know I think competition's healthy to a degree. Um, and um, like I said, they have a later flavor. They've got you know because they have a later cutoff, so they've got a lot later prototypes. Right. Most of their grid is prototypes, and, and most of ours is GTs. Um, and they have a much newer flavor to their grid, and that's that's cool. I think competition's um, healthy. Um, I think it can be you know to a degree complementary. Not so ideal if you had. Both had events on the same weekend, but that hasn't happened so far. Yeah. So, do you think there's um there's a cutoff point in newness that makes cars prohibitively expensive to run? Okay, there's obviously there's yes. people with unlimited amounts of money may always choose to run a certain car, but presumably yeah. some cars are unbelievably expensive to run. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking like you know, if you look at like GT1 versus GT2 in the 90s, there's a big difference there because most of the GT1 cars were works efforts with yeah. limitless budgets. You can run them now. They're still expensive, but they're not, you know, mind-bogglingly expensive necessarily. Um, but I think if you look at how things have gone, even in with the latest generation of cars, um, like the, a friend of mine was talking to one of the teams that runs Porsches and, the, you know, the cost of even a corner on one of those new well, like 991 generation of the, the Millennium yeah. RSR yeah, yeah. is yeah. insane. And, and a friend bought new 488, yeah. just running at Le Mans, 
and I think X VAT is eight hundred thousand euros. Yeah, yeah. Basically, before you buy spare parts and and so on, um, and um, I I think also some of them are kind of beginning to be kind of um, uh, not so much hybrid, but you know, turbocharged, and there's a lot more electronics involved. They're more complex and to the run. electronic systems in them are yeah. crazy. And it's like, so you can't just bring a mechanic, you need a data engineer. And you kind of you still need that with cars from the nineties and two thousands, but they're just simpler. Yeah. Um so I, I think it depends. I, I think current generation of cars will become more expensive to run relative to cars from two thousands or yeah. the nineties. But I mean from LMP terms, I think you couldn't if you even if you wanted and you had a limitless budget, you could not run like a hybrid LMP1 yeah. car. Like you just can't buy a running one. They won't sell you one. I mean, there's only Porsche and Toyota, really. Yeah. And they just will not sell one. I mean, they, they, I've heard they that maybe they might sell a car, but they remove the system or disable yeah. it. Um, uh, because, I mean, you look at it, they had hundreds of people in the departments running those. And, yeah. I mean, I was talking to Tom Christensen's manager, because they've known him for years through Goodwood, um, at the weekend at Le Mans. And we were talking about how things have changed and, Formula E and so on, and uh, and I said no, it's interesting because it appeals to the manufacturers probably from a PR perspective with the electrification happening and so on. He said, yeah, budget as well. He thinks also because um, he said, look at the team size; they got like twenty five people yeah. in a race, uh, something like that. He said when when Audi were doing like you know LMP one at its numbers. height, he said at Le Mans we'd have like 120, 140 people or something. Yeah, the team's like three to five hundred people or something ridiculous. So. Um, yeah, it's formal, it's like they were like Formula One teams, same complexity, you know. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, so I don't, I don't think you'd be able to run. And I think even the manufacturers have struggled with museums. You know, I, I heard when Porsche and Audi brought their LMP1 cars to Goodwood that they'd run effectively non-hybrid, they yeah. disable the systems because they just they didn't want to have to bring an extra like fifteen, twenty people to <laughs> trucks run and stuff, them. Yeah. And yeah, for what you know to run up a hill, you can do that on the petrol yeah. power. You've got enough power, diesel power. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you don't need the thousand horsepower to go up the hill necessarily um, for a demo. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I find less and less clarity in terms of what the future of motorsport is like in twenty years' time or something. Yeah, I'm absolutely no idea in that time scale. Uh, it, you know, you look at like GT racing, Blancpain, and it's like bumper grids everywhere, yeah. doing super well. And then you look, you're like, where's Formula Three? When I was growing up, Formula Three was like the thing. Yeah. If you nailed Formula Three, you're like pretty much had one foot in the door of Formula One. Yeah. You just needed a big bag of cash. Um, now I I have no idea. I mean, is there even a British F3 Championship or European F3? I'm not sure. I don't know. Um, and I know that you know Formula E is a big thing and seems swimming in money. Um, I don't think. Uh, it, it, I, yeah, it's, Formula E is an interesting one. I think it's I think it's really good. It exists. I think it's a great way for manufacturers to do some positive PR for their stuff now. The, and the it's city centre thing is quite interesting. I think. Um, but if I look at current all racing at the moment and say what's what do i find interesting and what do i watch and i didn't really grow up watching racing on the weekend or anything so um the things that i like i don't really watch f1 anymore i watched it a little bit but i I don't really watch anymore because i kind of i tried indycar the other day which i hadn't watched for ages in detroit it was really good. I imagine that it's actually it pretty was really good. quite. You know, lots of action. The cars sounded yeah. good for starters. The drivers were quite busy. It's fast. You could see what they were doing because they didn't have the kind of. Uh, I know it's for safety, and it's really impossible to argue against that point in a way. But I, I I've come to call Formula One Formula flip flop, mm-hmm. and I, I, I hate 
how they look. Um, but you also it hides a lot of the drivers' um, inputs. You know, the, we have so much in car. We still have loads of in car. Yeah, uh, if when more when you're just watching from a distance. I know what you mean. Um, uh, although you know, Indy is bringing in. I have read somewhere um, a similar thing that they are going for the shield canopy thing, canopy thing that Red yeah. Bull kind of tried. Uh, I, I think so if you look at the, I'm all for it in terms of the safety. It's, and I don't really, to, I don't uh, really like, know you should risk your life. Any it's flip side to that. Cause having, as someone who drives quite fast cars on track, yeah. more safety is better. Like, it's like, would you wear a helmet it. or not? Or would you wear, yeah. you're like, yeah, all right, I'll do it. You know, yeah. but it, I know like having now worn a hands device, would you ever not wear a hands device? Absolutely. It's not. easy to be the armchair critic. And I, yeah. I, it's like, I know I've driven a 1950s car at like 170 plus miles an hour at Le Mans. With seatbelts and no roll bar. Yeah. And you're like, if a tire goes pop at this speed, I'm basically toast. But you wouldn't, like, you wouldn't put a drive it. You know, if you had the option of having a if roll you bar, option, you would. It's just in it. that car, you bastardized. It didn't exist back you then. You can put it in, but you having to cut it and modify it. And it's a really original car. You may, some owners don't want to do it. And then it's a choice you make when you get in the car. And I've done that plenty of times in the past. I find as I guess I age and, you know, I, I, uh, with that maturity comes a sense of one's own kids and stuff. Uh, vulnerability in general terms. Um, yeah, it's nice to walk in the door with all of your bits still attached to you. Yeah. Um, so, oh, was it? I was, I was racing a MX5, and it was the first time someone I'd come across this, and I didn't even realise it was a thing, and then it scared me like shitless. Was someone said, "Oh, do you have arm restraints?" <laughs> and I was like, "What are you talking about?" He's like, "No, these things that like." Clip onto your, basically around your forearms. Yeah. And then they tie to your seatbelts. And what they do is they stop your hands. Flailing around. Flailing around. I've never like, encountered this. It's quite like, common what in, are you in America. About? It has been for ages. And they're like, oh, no. Um, and then one of the guys was there was like, oh, yeah, this happened to my dad. And he was racing and the car yeah. rolled. And because the windowsill on, let's say, an MX-5 is quite low, yep. your arm can go outside the car. And his calm arm went outside the car and the car rolled or something. Yep. And then he Break basically had no arm like yep. it, it or it was completely broken, useless broken, yeah, yeah. and i hadn't even remotely thought about as this is a thing and then suddenly i was like i don't have this and if- it's it's like that old thing of you can't unknow yeah um you know something once 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 you've experienced it or seen it or whatever and it's like a hands device you know loads of people race before hands yeah, devices but now once now that they're around people are like oh you're not wearing a hands device oh, are you sure about that really yeah you know it was like yeah, you know, wind back 15, 20 years, you'd be like, well, we've got seatbelts. That's, you know, pretty safe. It's about yeah. safe to get. It's all. You can't unwind safety nah. in terms of like, you can't unlearn safety and it's not a step back. It's not a step forward to be less safe. You know, it's, that's never a good thing. It's just, I suppose, you know, well, yeah. It, how does most sport stay appealing? I, you know, I don't know. I mean, some people, a friend of mine commentates for a German TV channel on uh, Formula E. Hmm. And he said, oh, I said, oh, you know, I struggle with it. I tried to watch on TV. Found it pretty boring. You know, it was a couple of years ago at least, yeah. they were slower then. Uh, and he's like, no, 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 you have to come to an event. It's completely different. Once you get into it, it's quite, you know, entertaining. And, you know, I thought the same before I started commentating on it. And I thought, oh, maybe, maybe I'm just a dinosaur. But a, a big part of what makes motorsport spectacular, at least from me, from my self dinosaur perspective, is the noise. Yeah, it's I like you get noise. people filming like all these supercar bloggers, supercar kids, whatever, uh, in London filming cars driving by. They're not filming them for the speed they accelerate yeah. really it's for the noise yeah and so i'm just 
I, I really personally just struggle with that. But equally, you can't synthesize it. I think it will be... Fake noise, so... The cars are a lot faster now than they used to be. They're still not very fast, but they've sort of... They do funky track design and stuff. But it won't be very long before those cars are very fast. Oh, uh, yeah, you're right. That's and really, it will yeah, get to the yeah. point where they're faster than any cars we have at the yeah, moment. I mean, hey, look at uh, the Rimac. I mean, yeah. or the, you know, the um, Pininfarina... It's called Batista. Yeah, so the uh, Rimac. Yeah, basically, <laughs> you know, with a different body in it. Yeah, um, it's pretty mind blowing. I mean, a, a, a friend of mine ha- had a um, Veyron mm. and got to know. I think it was Mate Rimac. Yeah, I don't know how you say his name? Um, and went to visit him, and they kind of swapped cars. Mm. Took his Veyron all the way down to is it Croatia or wherever he is. Yeah, um, swapped cars, and my friend is proper petrolhead. Was like, bloody hell! Actually, I, I, I kind of hate to admit it, but that that was actually better. Yeah, to drive in terms of an experience, acceleration experience. Yeah. than my favorite on, it's amazing. It blew me away, and and I was like, yeah, okay, well, you know, often you can think something, and I know in like twenty years time there'll be some form of motorsport, and I'll probably find it entertaining. I'll probably still, you know, reminisce about the old days of yeah. putting fuel in a car and so on. Um, but um, who knows? I, I, I think you know, inherently, you know, it's like betting. You can bet on flies walking up a wall if you're yeah. in a certain country, probably, or whatever. You know, we'll find some form of so we what need you, that type of thing. What do you think about the current WEC? So the current, yeah, like Le Mans um, type scenario. You know, I think it's, I think in two years it's going to be fantastic when the hypercar. I had a conversation with a couple of guys yesterday. Yeah. Uh, or when we had it finalized that this regulations was 100% happening and like Aston yeah. was going. And all of us were like, we are going to Le Mans in 2020. Yeah, it's going to be at the minute, even friends, you know, who are close to the ACO said, look, it's kind of in holding years. These mm-hmm. are not going to be highly memorable years this year, next year, and so on. Um, in terms of, you know, in the, you know, history of yeah. Le Mans. Um, but I think everyone is pretty excited about the hypercar thing. Um, because it kind of, if you think back to it, it's like the, it's like why GT1 was so popular awesome. in the 90s, because they kind of looked like road cars yeah. in a loose styling sense, but they were completely unrelated. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, you can say the CLK GTR Mercedes has the pointed star on the bonnet like, you know, yeah. your old D-Class dad had. But actually, that's about the only similarity. But there's also, like, the CLK GTR. There is a CLK GTR road car. Exactly. And that was a big part of it. It, it, it. I think people just relate to that. You know, as as amazing as prototypes are to watch, blatting through the Porsche curves or something, yeah, and you just insane. go, that's sped up. Seriously, it must be, because you can't humanly go that fast. Um, it, it's, in, it's incredible. And even speaking to people who drive them, they, they you know, they said it. they are mind-blowing to drive. Um, but the prototypes, I think it, you'd have to be under the influence of quite a lot of alcohol or some sort of other substance to call sort of a lot of the LMP cars these days beautiful. Yeah, they might not. be in a sort of purposeful sense maybe, but they're kind of, yeah, there's so many bits and holes and whatever that they're not kind of flowing in streamlines and so on. And I, so I think the hypercar thing is really exciting. Um, I think the hypercars will look a lot like LMP1 cars in their final trim. Yeah, I, I think it's surprising how much a small bit of styling cues from a road car can make a difference in transforming it. Like you see it with the DPI cars in America, I think, and where like it might have the front styling cue of a Cadillac or yeah. a, a Mazda or whatever, and it just just a little bit of shape. It's helps. enough. It's enough. Yeah, and make it more attractive. Like with the Aston, we know it's going to have a V12. 
Exactly. Yes. And, uh, you know, it's <laughs> you can't, like, you can't fake that. I, I like, you know, the, 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 I love diesel road cars. I love them. You know, call me old fashioned. I know, but it kind of, I love the lazy power and so yeah. on. And it's kind of the, you know, you, you get plagiarized now, um, for the whole emissions gate thing, um, which was, you know, not right. But, um, but like the Audi LMP cars, you know, I watched them, I went to Silverstone for the WEC a few years ago, whenever they were running their last. And it was pretty underwhelming to see it. I mean, you know, visually it was amazing, but it was like, and it was yeah. gone. And then like, you know, the rebellion came through with a screaming V10 or something. And you're just like, yeah, oh, yeah. oh my God, that sounded fantastic. <laughs> uh, it's a privateer car. And it's kind of the same at Le Mans. I mean, this year for me, um, the, the battle, the race was in the GT class. GT, it was fantastic. GT Pro for like, me. The, for, for most of the race, but particularly for the first, you know, hour or two, it was like you're looking at a train of cars and you're like BMW, okay, I'm not at the front, um, but Porsche, Ferrari, Aston, BMW, yeah. Ford, Chevrolet, yeah. like nose to tail. Yeah. All like making different cars. noises, all sounding yeah, great. Yeah, looking different. And, and that was the variety, the rich tapestry. I was talking to, um, at Le Mans, I was talking to uh, Eugenio Amos, you know, Automobili yeah, yeah. Amos, who's made the um, Futurista, which has proven kind of really popular. Uh, and I think it's a separate thing. I think it's probably a rich future for companies like that. And, and Singer has proven as people like customization more and more. Um, and uh, he's really into G- He raced a bit, uh, you know, mm. he still does kind of certain races and rally raids and things, but he raced in like Spa 24 hours and Daytona and stuff. And he's oh, cool. really, he just yeah. bought a car for ERL actually. So hopefully we'll see him out. Yeah. 4.30, see him out in, in, next year. Um, and he loves GT cars. And we were reminiscing about why we loved them and, and, and you know, what made different periods rich yeah. and so on. And it is because they sounded good. They looked good and different and they had different drivetrains and you know there was and it was quite rich in the competition um so i i think that's a really positive step and i mean you know who knows in 10 years time it probably will have become an arms race and it'll have a reset because motorsport does it It has always done become an arms race there's a good formula manufacturers get involved they invest more and more and more becomes an arms race gets to the point it's so expensive Everyone goes, this yeah. is silly, and it resets. And then maybe you get a couple of years of, like, you know, average breaks until yeah. someone comes up with a better system. Um, so, but, yeah. I I'm, think it's cool. It is I'm, just cool. Whether whether they get rolled out in terms of uh, national series, I don't know, because GT3 and the whole mm. balanced performance thing seems pretty popular and seems to work well. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, so I think that will probably stay as it is. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's gonna be cool. I'm I'm not gonna miss 2021 at the one. That's for sure. Yeah, it's gonna be sick. Like just those cars banging around a track. The I was I was, I was at um 360. The guys that look after my radical mm. um this week, and I was I was talk, asking them about because they hired they run an LMP3 car. In fact, they, I think they run two LMP3 cars now. Um, in the ELMS. Yeah. And I was asking them about the different speeds between all the cars. So they, in on their in their races, they have LMP3, LMP2, and GT3. Yeah. Also GT3, LMP3, LMP2 mm. in terms of speed. And I was just asking them, like, what's the, the speed differences between those three cars and the cost? Because yeah. I always find it slightly funny that my Radical, which you can, you can go and buy for an SR3 for like 45 grand, right. they're like, 70, 80 new but like if you get one that's been run for a little bit and that will lap Silverstone which is not a particularly great track for a high downforce car um, in 
two minutes four. And GT3 cars have only just got faster than that. Wow. And a GT3 car is like, what, 500 grand something? New, I suppose it's got to be, yeah, several hundred upwards, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> so that, that's always quite funny. Uh, an LMP3 car apparently is, is about three seconds faster than a GT3 car. An LMP3 car costs 200 grand to that's buy. And it's, it looks like a full on, I mean, it is a Le Mans prototype, big carbon yeah. body. Yeah. Uh, I think they're 400 and something horsepower at the moment. That's going up um, next year. But they're, to run one for a year is not, not cheap in the slightest. No. I think it's 600 grand. Okay. Which is, I mean, that's a lot of money. It, yeah. And anyone's book, um, yeah. split. And then you have three or four drivers. So I guess you would then split that between those people. But, and then LMP2 goes up to like a million and a half a year to run. Yeah. And those are 10 seconds a lap faster than LMP3. Quite a bit. But as a driver and having the experience of driving the Radical, I, I don't know why you would go to pay to go to Le Mans in something that's slower or as fast, <laughs> but spend a, sh- a shit ton more money running, for example, running a GT car. I love GT cars because yeah. they are the embodiment of all the road cars that I love. But to drive one on track, I imagine is pretty well, great, suppose, but they're not. That's why LMP2 at Le Mans has been so popular, yeah. right? Because LMP1, for the few privateers there are, um, is, is that it's expensive. Insane, yeah. LMP, uh, and you look at the GT cars and you go, okay, you know, well, you know, it's going to buy, it costs you basically a million euros to buy a Ferrari or yeah. presumably if you could get a Porsche, not dissimilar, you know, Ford owned all the Fords. I think it's just for one. Yeah. Rumor has it was like, I don't know, three, four million bucks. Yeah. It's um, pretty punchy money. Um, and yet you go and buy an LMP2 car for, you know, well, I don't know, four or 500,000 or something yeah. uh, like that, maybe a bit more. And run quite a bit um, faster. And yeah. Um, and um, I don't know, but it is part of where the, the value of GT3 cars in the usability, because there's probably only, you know, what, there, uh, two, three different series you can run LMP3 car in or LMP2. Yeah, no, G- not many. Yeah. GT3, you can run them in Blanc, and you can probably run them in National GT Series, British GT, maybe French GT. ADAC and the America, there's a lot more usability. They're pretty user friendly as well. Yeah, I, I haven't driven a GT3 car. I'm sure one day I'll get the chance somehow, somewhere. But from all I've heard, they've got like all the driver aids, mm. um, and they're reasonably friendly to drive, and they're designed to be I reasonably to have friendly. To, yeah, to that's drive. part of their appeal. Um, right. I don't think an LMP2 car is very friendly. No, I suppose. Um, Hey, I'm and you don't. I'm the wrong t- person to talk to about downforce. It's a mystical kind of dark art to me. Um, you know, and uh, like speak to Sam Hancock, um, and who's you know historic racer and you know race mm. prototypes and stuff when they were new, um, and um, now races in historics. That's why yeah. he was commentating at Le Mans and so on. Uh, and uh, he'll say actually prototypes is a misnomer. Prototypes are easier to drive because they've got so much downforce. Um, whereas GT cars a bit more weight and less yeah. downforce, so they kind of they move around, move around a lot more. Um, but a lot of people think, ah, oh, yes, but downforce, it's that thing where, you know, you go through the corner at like 80, where you go through 140, but if you go through, yeah, you know, 110, you'll fall off. It doesn't actually work like that. No, but a lot of people kind of automatically think like that. It's, it's, I don't it's, know where that came from. I don't know. Someone, someone somewhere someone, said it. If it was, who created that? It was probably that, on like yeah. Top Gear. Yeah. Um, maybe it may have been true ages ago. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I, I, I know with people, F1 cars, the 
there's certain stuff like tires. If the tires aren't hot and yeah. the brakes aren't hot, they don't work. So if your tires are not hot enough and you have, you only get that by driving fast, mm. you're not going to be able to go. That that's when you might have a car that's nuts. Yeah. But my own ex- experience of driving, uh, yeah. In fact, I don't know what you'd class a radical SR three as, but in terms of down downforce versus a road car or you get these latest hypercars like a Senna or something, they say, oh, it's got 600 kilos of downforce at 180 miles an hour. Now, what that equates to at a normal speed, like 100 miles an hour, is not a lot of downforce. Mm. Whereas I think the my SR3 has 600 kilos at 100 miles an hour. Now, the way physics works, if, it, if you could get that car to 180 miles an hour, mm. that would be something like 4,000 kilos of downforce. In, in terms of a number... Yeah. If you want to quote like for like, yeah, one of those is feelable. Yeah, and um, when you drive, I thought there was this thing of you can go through a corner twenty miles an hour faster or twenty miles an hour less, but there was no middle ground. And yeah. then the first time I think I, it was at Silverstone and Cops, and we looked back in the data after I'd been driving, and there was a lot of stuff which was like. The line, my line wasn't quite right and turning yeah. point. And, and you start to have to do things like really get the balance of the car correct mm. to get the aero platform flat and stuff like that. But we looked at the data and the, the guy, it was probably, it was probably actually Ollie. So Sam's brother. Yeah. Um, great driver. He, um, he was cornering at 20 miles an hour faster through cops, which is like a blind, fast right-hander. And in my head, I was like, that just sounds loony. And then we were like, okay, fine. Just try it one mile an hour faster than you did last time. Mm. And then one mile an hour faster. And literally just slowly. And this feeling of down, like of pushing, it just feels like you've got more grip. Yeah. But it doesn't, in that car, I think it's reasonably friendly when you lose it. Because if you suddenly start sliding, your aero, you lose a lot of the aero very yeah. fast. Yeah, I suppose it's um, And I think some cars are particularly aero sensitive in that way, that if you get... Mm over two degrees of slip, you suddenly lose half the downforce or and something. A, and in which you're case, gone. You, you're gone. Like yeah. you, you're not coming back. And the tyres, slick tyres, don't have as much lateral like, yeah. angle you can put and on I guess, them. I guess people who don't have that explained to them well, they, can, they get kind of scared about that. I, I suppose that's where a lot of this whole yeah. you know, misnomer comes from. Yeah, definitely. And, um, yeah, the, the, I, and actually, I, can, I, can, I could see how an LMP car would be easier to drive because it's just faster more of me driving the Radical, which mm. terrified me the first time I drove it because I thought it was going to kill me for some reason. <laughs> and then I realized it's actually really, it's a really friendly car. It's, when you're on that knife edge. It's familiarity that looks like the first time you, you, you drive a car to step up in performance. Yeah, you're like, the first oh, time you drive a real-wheel drive car. Yeah, you're like, oh my God. And then you get used to it. And it, then it's suddenly not that scary until you make the next step up in performance and yeah. then kind of have the same thing again. Um, uh, uh, so it's interesting. I mean, uh, the other thing is, I think, like it's, it, you see it a lot in historic. People, you know, make a lot of money, buy a valuable car, sometimes a fast valuable car. Um, and it, it's kind of a case of all the gear, no idea sort of thing. Um, and they spend loads and loads on trying to make the car go faster. And the reality is, <laughs> it's probably a lot cheaper and easier to make themselves go faster, yeah. but it means that they need to acknowledge um, that, they're uh, that, that they're not as good as they think they are and to ask for help, basically. And so that's so why I think the value of, you know, people like you know, the Hancock brothers and, and there's loads of other yeah. people out there 
who are good at you know tuition, but not just like the basics of race tuition. Like they've driven a load of different stuff. Yeah. They they understand how different systems work, different types of cars. You know, rear wheel drive, GTs, prototypes, downforce, no downforce, slicks, non slicks, all of this stuff. Um, and they can kind of coax you along. Say, just be mindful of this. Watch out for that because they've been there and they've done it. That that's actually you know, I think it's incredibly valuable. And for people coming into it, it's, it's you know, it's really worth spending the money on that yeah. because you'll learn so much in a short space of time that you might spend ages floundering around for a year just trying to figure it out or more than a year yeah. um, yourself. And there's certain things you can't, you don't learn, you can't work out yourself. Like you have to be taught. Yeah. And I think it's like, it's the knowledge thing, isn't it? It, it depends on the mindset of the person really, because you get some people are get super successful, make loads of money, and they sort of 100% put it down to themselves being amazing at everything sort of thing. And yeah, then they come yeah. into cars and they may be super successful in something else, which they do know a lot about, but then you, and they assume that they're going to be immediately very good. And then I think that's not, a, not a lot of people like that, but more people come in and you realize there's a lot to learn. I think a barrier that people have, and I find it amazing, we were, when I was testing the, the Citroen C1 yeah. the other day, um, there was a bunch of guys in Ferrari Challenge, 488 Challenge mm-hmm. cars. And we got, I got chatting to one of them, really nice guy. And I said, like, you know, have you, have you done much track driving? Because I kind of, I just, I, you suspect this may not be the case. And, um, and he was like, no, this is the first time I've really been on track. Oh, wow. And I'm like, oh, so you've you decided to buy a, that's a fairly quick car. This is your first car. Challenge car as your first track experience. Like what? Why didn't you just think? Oh, let's get something slow. I'll and, tell you why. Because the salesman was really smooth. Well, yeah, and also uh, I get it because you're like, okay, I've got a Ferrari road car, and I want to do some racing. Yeah, so I want to get the yeah, Ferrari race thing, car. and I feel part of that family, and it kind of and you sort of makes sense. And if you've got the money, or if you've made the money, or in whatever form, you've got the money yeah. to spend on it. And you go, okay, I can, I can afford to do it that way. The only answer is that's probably the best way to do it. Not, I think the more you do get involved in racing and have good races and bad races and whatever, you realize that the car is the smallest part of it. Yeah. Like, and it, you know, it's interesting in terms of what's fun, right? Because inherently people go, oh, I need to go for performance and prestige yeah. and so on in order to have more fun. It's totally not true. I mean, I, okay, you've done a Citroen C1 racing, which yeah. I have to admit I haven't done. Um, but I'd really like to in the future. It looks like outrageous fun. And I know a number of people who are, you know, who, who've raced all sorts of cars, not some of the most valuable yeah. cars in the world. Um, and the, even in the top races in the world, like Marino Franchitti. Yeah. You know, he's, he's driven loads of different really. racing cars. Yeah. And he's won Sebring, you know, um, LMP1 stuff. And, and he was doing the Citroen C124 hours. And, you know, you ask him, like, what's it like? It's like, ridiculous fun. It's like, you know, probably the slowest racing car you can buy. But it's actually still a challenge. Unbelievable you know? fun. And when you look at the grids at an event like that, you get people like him. You're looking down the list and you're like, hang on, this is like a works GT3 driver. Over there. <laughs> and then at this, and you're like, okay, all, everyone's racing a C1. And it is definitely a common theme. The more I talk to professional race drivers and people that have done a lot of racing, yeah. and I said, and I give them like, okay, you can race what, like, what for you is the most enjoyment you have racing and none of them have said oh this car this it's like i just want to have a good battle and you tend to get better battles when the cars mean 
value wise less to the people racing them. Yeah, and it's also it's 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 I and think you know talent grid as well. It may be um, you know you need a lot of experience and be razor edge you know in terms of you know reflexes and skill and so on to drive the the absolute fastest cars available at yeah. any time moment in time. But it's still you know surprisingly difficult to extract the absolute performance from any car, no matter what it is. Yeah, whether it's a Citroen C1 or a and you get Porsche 917 slow cars, you get punished. Yeah, well that's it because you got no power. You scrub yeah. speed and you're sitting duck and. And I, I love the aspect of the fact that they seem to have radios in them. Yeah, like, you, can, <laughs> like you have to keep the radio. <laughs> I, I, I want that to be in Formula One. I want Lewis to be, you know, yeah. blatting around listening to Radio One or, or losing signal the back end. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Of Spa. You know, you got the dance tunes on or whatever as you're going around Le Mans. You know, I think that would be hilarious. I, I wish it could happen. It's, it's all give fun. Right, I have a couple of sort of news related items from, oh, yeah, from recently Go on. of things that have just happened. What's been going on? Other than, other than Le Mans, obviously. Uh, Ultima have made a new car. You come- I saw, a, uh, yeah, I don't I know mean, any it details. It sort of the same. I saw a photo of it somewhere. Ultima Maybe it was on RS. Facebook or social yeah. media. Or something. Uh, I, have, I actually have minimal details on this. Um, so, other than it, if you've seen an Ultima, it looks kind of like an Ultima. I saw, yeah, I thought that. And the engine is... It's various forms of American V8, and it can go from 480 horsepower up to, there's this hypothetical top version that could potentially have 1,200 horsepower. Turbocharged, I assume. Uh, yeah, I think it's turbocharged is, or is supercharged. It, is the chassis much different? Is it, is it metal or is it, is it carbon? Uh, it has carbon parts on it. Right. I don't, I don't actually know the answer whether it's a carbon, I don't mm. think it's a carbon tub. What's it meant to be? Like a track car? It's or a sort of like track, fast ultimate r- performance vehicle that you can buy. So kind of exactly like the original one in a way. Yeah, it's just more, more of the same. And my oh. only experience of an Ultima was a friend bought one. And the thing with Ultimas is you can either have it built by Ultima or people can build them. Yeah. And this one was built by someone else. And it was the most heavily botched, sketchy <laughs> thing I've ever come across. And like genuinely... Like an Ikea supercar. It, I'm surprised it didn't set on fire whilst we had <laughs> doing a road trip. Um, I wanted to, when I saw the original ones, I was like, ah, oh, it kind of looks quite cool. And I, and you know, and I, I like it in some ways in terms of how raw it is and so on. But it's a cool idea. I suppose it's a good, you know, and I don't know, you know, what this one's like. So, you know, it's unfair to judge it, but it, I suppose it's, it, it kind of raises the point that, you know, it's easy to do something even if it's something that's been done a thousand times before it's easy to do it very badly yeah or you can do it very brilliantly it's like you know singer why is singer go well they customize cars effectively the execution uh, but they customize them they execute. it's just it's to an unheard of degree or it certainly had been yeah there's plenty of car customers out out there and even expensive ones you know where i mean okay they're really not my cup of tea but like mansory yeah and i look at them and i'm like oh dear that looks like an extremely expensive kind of Alfred's knockoff sort of job. And maybe it's changed the performance of the car. I don't know. But, you know, it's... They're not performance related. Uh, yeah, well, that, that's it's, what I thought. It's an aesthetic. It, it, you know, um, but I didn't, frankly, stop long enough yeah. to even read the description. I just saw it and thought, well, I'll move on. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I, it's, it's easy to do it kind of um, badly, I suppose is my point. Um, but, you know, there's some out there like, you know, I'm trying to think what they are that that are kind of really kind of niche in a similar um, 
I guess it is the sort of that have been executed well. It's the car for. So I haven't seen one that's been built and executed. I've only come across like one. BAC Mono. Budgie. That's kind of a, yes. an equivalent type of very, 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 very niche thing that actually having seen up close, I was really impressed with the execution of it. Oh, I don't know what the amazing bit of kit. But, um, or uh, like, I don't know, an aerial. Again, I don't know if they're much yeah. better now, but, 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 they, but they were actually at the time basic, but nicely executed. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the, the keys in the execution. And people, people love good engineering. Yeah, people are willing to pay. It goes to show that you don't need complexity; you just need to engineer and finish yeah. it nicely. I think that's the, 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 when we say execution, it's like okay, the fundamental engineering needs to be good, but the finish is really what sets things apart. Yeah, be, be, be it a watch or piece of furniture or a car, or whatever. And it's crazy how much the finish, like tiny things, mm. completely like just destroy the perceived value of an object. Like I, mm. I bought a watch. Um, it was about a year ago. It was, it was some guy in Sweden, I believe, had come up with this design, and it sort of looked a bit like a old school Daytona. That was the sort of right, vague okay, design yeah. ideas. Anyway, I bought it. Thought it looked kind of cool when I saw it on the web. It arrived, and I just looked at it quite closely. And I, I hadn't really started looking at watches closely until someone asked me to photograph a watch a couple mm. of years ago, mm. and I actually. I gave it back to him and said, I know this, I know this is a customer's watch. He'd customized a watch for someone. Right. He'd customized a Rolex. And it, the, I was photographing it. So looking at it very, very, very closely. And I, I just actually just gave it back and said, look, I, I basically I can't do this. You need to, there's some stuff you need to do to this watch before you give it. I know it's you're delivering finished. this tomorrow yeah. Yeah. and it's not in a condition to do it. Yeah. Like we're kind of done. Um, but looking at this watch I just bought, one of the dials, like just looking at the dial, it wasn't yeah. quite finished properly. Like mm. the, when the, something was out of line or whatever. Yeah. And basically from that point, I think, what was another thing? Oh, you just couldn't really read it very well. Right. And you couldn't read the dial very well, which sounds kind like an obvious thing. Yeah. But like my Submariner, super easy to read. Like simple, obviously it's a very, it's a nice watch. Yeah. But I hadn't considered that people might have made one that you couldn't read. <laughs> and I literally was like, I can't read this. I've got to get rid of it. And I, I sold it to someone and it, it's gone. But it gave me a whole new appreciation for the yeah. design and execution on watch faces. And when you look at, when you really look at them, which yeah. potentially just don't ever do, like a card, never look at the paintwork unless you really want to know what the yeah, paintwork's it's, like. It's, it's, it's a curious one. I mean, it's like I, I, um, I, whilst I used to be pretty unimpressed with what I have been for, you know, 10, 12 plus years with Formula One and thought you know, the cars were quite ugly, actually. Um, and I was like, oh, can we have the 90s back or the early 2000s when they're much cleaner designs? Actually, I still found them fascinating to look at up close. Up close, just they not, are not, unbelievable. Not moving. And, you know, I happened a good one year. Adrian knew he was down and he was talking me through their, the car they had at the time, mm. the show car, which is still a couple of years old, but it was, you know, still pretty advanced Shapes. i never looked at one too closely and he was telling me what all of the different bit like i said well why don't you have this funny kind of bit there yeah. doing like curving up that way he's like oh so that cleans the air and that does this and, and then that, that has an effect like at the back of the car and i'm like i would never have thought that funny little thing there made a big difference um but once you knew it it, it kind of made sense um and, you know i wouldn't say it made the thing beautiful but it was interesting to look at i um i just recently read his book and, oh, I haven't read that yet. And it's, I recommend it. And I'm, I'm, it's made me more interested 
in Formula One throughout the years. And also, I now have a better understanding. Basically, the book, the premise of the book is he sort of tells his career to date. And each year, that's based around designing a car mm. for a company. And he talks about the different regulations and stuff and how things get banned and comes up with a yeah, new idea yeah. and then that gets banned or whatever. Because I'd always look at the current cars and go, okay, that's the latest, greatest, fastest. That must be the best thing exists. Yeah. But actually, it's exactly what they can do now within the parameters yeah. that they are given. And they each year, they get tighter and tighter and tighter, yeah. so they have to do less. And you sort of want... A bit like the Aston Martin project, the uh, mm. the Valkyrie and things like that, where you want to see what someone. I really want to see what someone can make. Yeah, no holds barred. Yeah, um, and, and it's I, kind of I, it's it's like Can Am if you look back in motorsport history, um, which I loved because there was loads of variety in Can Am. You know, okay, many people went down the route of putting a sock and great big Chevy V8 in the back, yeah. and and a, and a kind of a bathtub aluminium monocoque. But there are some people who you know, really obviously had a spliff or were quite drunk when, or, or, you know, were really alternative thinkers when they penned their designs. You know, it's like one bloke thought he'd lashed together four or six snowmobile engines to make an 800 nice. horsepower, two stroke, <laughs> flat, whatever it was. Um, can't remember now, configuration. Um, and, and then, you know, another guy decides to put a massive fan on a car. It's just, you know, they were completely free. Yeah. And it was, brilliant to see most of them didn't work um or not for very long but it was brilliant to see the variety of thinking and i, I kind of that's cool i like that the um so, speaking of fans mm. um on cars gordon murray has announced his oh yes t50 i believe it's called yeah uh but what's it gonna be is it gonna be called a gordon murray or is it going to be called a you know, gonna be named well at the moment it's the t.5 or t50 oh, okay. or something but i'm sure it'll have a different name when it's finished, or it might be called the T50. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I, so that, if, if you don't know what that is, is Gordon Murray, who was part of the designer of the McLaren F1, um, loves lightweight stuff. Mm. And he's put together a car that is, I don't know how long it's going to be until it comes out, but fundamentally it's going to have a 650 horsepower. Cosworth, is it? Cosworth V12. Is it the same engine as in the belt? No, it's no, smaller. It's Oh, okay, okay. It's a small displacement, but it's going to rev. I think they figure they said was something like 13 and a half or ooh, something ooh, crazy ooh, like I'm that. I'm excited already. Uh, it's going to be manual gearbox and it's going to weigh, he set a weight manual. target of a, wow. of a thousand kilos or less. So is it it's basically, I, I'd read a and it's gonna have three bit, uh, which had a quote from him. It's basically kind of like, you know, he made the McLaren F1 as good as he could at the time with the technology available. Yeah. And this is kind of, Sort of, you know, similar, similar the concept. same kind of philosophy, but you know, better because of the technology and materials, and you know, and then so on, evolution. He's, um, I mean, to me, it sounds it's three seat, mega. Right? Yeah, it's still three so seats seat. with space for luggage, and it's going to fit inside the the footprint of the car. is It's quite small. It's like smaller than a modern nine eleven or something like that. Wow. Um, I can't remember exactly what it is, but it was basically it's not going to be a huge car. And it, I, and it's priced at two and a half million euros, which Not nowadays they're making, I think they're making a hundred and there's all sorts of problems that I sort of think down that lines of like, how do you, who services it? Yep. You know, you're not, you haven't got a big manufacturer brand pedigree. Brand. I mean, okay. He is a brand. He's got pedigree. You can argue. And you could say McLaren didn't have a pedigree as a road manufacturer. They were massively successful as a racing car manufacturer. 
but they still had that. They had that. And although he's kind of got that in a personal sense, it's not that kind of brand there. And it's like people say, well, what's a brand worth? How do you kind of value yeah. a brand? It's like, well, it's kind of, you know, what they did in the past and what they're doing what they've done now and, 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 you know, um, how popular they are. And, and, you know, it's a kind of, if you look at it, you know, it's how much want there is for that, I think. And that, I suppose that's the only thing I really like the idea of it. I, I wonder, you know, um, what, you know, like resale values will be in five years, uh, yeah, five I years think after we'll then. Probably you, do, you know, probably do what an F1 has done, did start high. Yeah. Go down. Yeah. Yeah. At one point up. you couldn't give an F1 away for, you know, a few hundred grand. I was listening to, um, it was Chris Harris's new oh, podcast yeah, recently. Yeah, yeah. And they, David Clark. Oh, yeah, with David. And um, he was saying the cheapest they got was like 300 grand. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's still a lot of money, but compared to what they were new. And, yeah. and at the time, they were 300 grand because people didn't want to pay 310 grand for them. Like, that was yeah. that was the price. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, they're, they're massively but, you the know, value. The interesting thing, I, 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 I um, think that, I don't know exactly, but in a rough sense, that the value, you know, McLaren F1s became super valuable. Now they're, you know, like high teens, yeah. uh, you know, to in the twenties for one of the race cars, let's say. Um, so yeah, certainly in Euro terms. Um, and, um, they, the race cars at least, which are kind of the most, the rarest, let's say, yeah. you know, they made 18 short tails, you know, the GCRs and, and 10 long tails. Um, uh, you know, they, they were kicking around, you know, kind of a couple of million, Probably, yeah. you know, up until not an awful long time ago, you know, less than sort of 10 years ago, I'd say something like that. And, and I personally thought, started to observe that F1 values generally, and particularly those of the racing cars, started climbing up once McLaren started making road cars again, which was like, what, yes. 2005, yeah. six, something like that, I'd say. Certainly once the, the Mercedes SLR program came around, that kind of put them on the map a bit. But particularly once the M412C came out, which is, must have been, what was that, seven or eight, or so, that ballpark. Um, and I think the brand exposure, because ironically, in a Formula One sense, success was going the other way yeah. at the same time. Um, I think that the, 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 my point is the values went up in line with the um, rise of the brand. Yeah, I don't think it's... Sorry, I, I wonder It's definitely that. a big... I think that's got to have been a big factor because more people know the brand name and, you know, it, it's... It, it is considered, yeah. it, you know, it's in their history. And then when the P1 comes out and that's a million pound car and you're like, okay, well, what came before the P1? And you're like, well, kind of was the F1. So the F1 is more historically significant. It's a really cool car. It should probably be worth more than a P1. Yeah. Um, also, I wonder, and I don't know enough, so I'm completely I'm talking out of turn here, but it's really expensive. I know it's not a hybrid car, but it's still really expensive to make a properly engineered supercar, hypercar, yes. whatever you want to call them these days. Um, Especially and, if you decide to make not a lot of them. Yeah, it's like where's the money, you know, coming from? Because you can kind of understand it if it's, you know, like Bugatti, part of the Volkswagen Audi yeah. group, they're worth billions or trillions or whatever. Or even McLaren, where there's serious kind of backing behind it. I think, you know, where's the money going to come from to properly engineer and finish this in a way? I mean, you could say, okay, um, and where's the production skills going to come from? You could say, okay, but the red, you know, the the the, the, sorry, the Aston Martin Valkyrie. Know that's a genius designer, but you know where's that going to come? Astons are good, but they're not. But they've not been kind of that level necessarily. Maybe, Um, but then you go, okay, well they're employing Red Bull Technologies, kind of a partner in it, and and they have a dealership network, exactly. So it's 
I, I I heard that they've got a new production facility, um, which is apparently going to be quite impressive. I, but I don't know. I yeah, somewhere not far away, I think. But um, but still, I don't. It's a bit like when the you know the TVR kind of came around yeah. last year. Was it something as like a bit well, amazing? That was, a, new that was the last thing and, he was involved in, wasn't it? Yeah, and that kind of yeah looked all right. You Where know, is it though? Uh, it was going to be in Wales, I think, and it was kind of partially government funded subsidies yeah. and all of this sort of stuff. And I, I guess it's still going to happen, but like it seems to have gone quite quiet on that front. And I think it's easy to talk stuff up. But but delivering it's another thing, and if anyone knows how to engineer a car and deliver it, he'll know for yeah. sure. I, I so it's like all of the other stuff I wonder about. It's interesting. You know? I, it's I, I find it a really interesting car. I I think I would have to have really quite a lot of money and a lot of cars, and yeah. really like him and the process to buy one. But there's a lot of people out there, and I reckon it's going to be wicked. I hope it goes really well because it sounds. It'd be cool. I it's like variety. My type of car. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, on paper, it sounds. I don't really get the point of the him tying into this this Brabham um, fan car concept, you know, of the, the race car they had because this is a road car. And well, also, I have a. I mean, maybe this is work. Maybe I'm being a bit. Or why do you bit, want that on? A bit of a you know, sergeant sensible here, but like I drive around West Sussex. You know, I live near Goodwood. Yeah. The roads aren't great, to be honest. There's plenty of potholes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when you get potholes, you get broken up bits of tarmac and gravel and stuff. I'm like, how is the fan not going to suck up? All like, Yeah, rubbish. And, you know, basically, like, it'll be like having a machine gun go off inside yeah. of a fan, blow the bits off the fan blades. And, I mean, because in equivalent terms, that's like saying, you know, you chucked a pile, a gra- bucket of gravel at a jet engine. Yeah. Well, you know, when a bird hits them, you know, they like, like land a plane, the engines, you know, toast. Um, so how, maybe there's some clever way around that. Uh, presumably there's, there must be some seriously, like, to me, it seems just a bit odd it, as like a, in reality, how's this going to work? Because, okay, if it's on a track, the car's going to have to have some sort of, those cars had skirts that went down to the ground. Now those wear away and you're yeah. replacing and whatever. Um, and look, knowing Gordon, he's you know he's he was famed for being a practical engineer. Yeah. He'd probably look at me like I'm an idiot and go, uh, "Bit of mesh will stop gravel," yeah, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, oh, "Yeah, I didn't think of that. That's quite obvious." Um, but it's uh, it's hey, it's exciting. It's um, and and you know, I am waiting. So I hope round one, car one, T50 goes exceptionally well. I, I, and I hope this forms a more extended venture in which case yeah. we get the. The lower down cars, for example, like with Aston Martin with the Valkyrie, yeah, we've got the one in the middle, oh, the and we've got the baby one coming, double O three, double O three, and then yeah. yeah, the Vanquish or whatever it's going to be. So we will have a Gordon Murray inspired. Let's say if he could make that car for under a thousand kilos, yeah, I reckon rather than having a six thirteen thousand RPM V twelve, I yeah. would happily have a eleven thousand RPM V eight. That was only yep. six hundred horsepower, yep. and a car that weighed a thousand and fifty kilos, because I'm sure that last fifty kilos is like, I mean, all of it. I imagine yeah, is very yeah. difficult. Yeah, but yeah. have a smaller V8 rather than a bigger tweet V12 or whatever. Yeah, and have it for four hundred fifty thousand pounds. Yeah, same philosophy, different architecture. Yeah, I agree. and like, I tell you what, I hope, I hope they it. don't talk it up too much. I hope they just deliver it and let yeah. the product do the talking. Under promise, over deliver. Yeah. Yeah, because that's because it's so easy. You're setting yourself up to to fail if you do the do it the other way. The only thing is, obviously, that 
they want to sell them all before they've made them all. Well, that's the thing. If they, that's when my point comes about when I made the question of ask question of like where's the you know where's the money coming from to make it because is it a case of we need you to pay for the cars so that we have the money to make cars? Presumably, there will be a hefty deposit. Yeah, in which case, a lot of people might go, "Well, what if you only you know you're going to sell how many? Fifty? Hundred? Uh, Hundred? What if you only get fifty deposits? Yeah. Are you going to burn through our cash and then go tits up? Yeah, and and, and we don't have get like money back. literally a rolling chassis." Yeah, and I suppose that might put some people off who might want the security of well, a massive like manufacturer. Well, yeah, and even if you'd ordered your Valkyrie. Yeah, well, that, was, um, that was like six or seven hundred thousand pounds. Yeah, I it? think the first one, That's I think there's been two, two deposits, and they've both been hefty. Yeah. And the car is not, I mean, it's not on the road yet. So I don't know, I don't even know if they wrote it, I haven't seen any road It's not, it's no. not, it's not on the road. And, and, and that was like two plus, was it three years? Yeah, yeah those first deposits before. were a couple of years you know, ago. I mean, that's, that's like. There's a lot of interest that you're not getting on that. Yeah, I mean, it's in, it's, in child terms, it's like you start, okay, you haven't got kids, but I've got kids, you know, so all December you're like, you know, look, behave, you better be good. Santa, Santa may not come. Yeah. All December, like pretty much your daily basis. You're like, he's yeah. watching you, he's watching you. Don't mention it the rest of the year, but you're like, you know, be good, right? It's a bit like saying, right, January 1st, Santa's watching you. better start being good right now. Yeah. I know it's an and intangible amount of time away and you can't get your head around it. But that's and you need to pay for your presents now. Yeah. Yeah. For, for Christmas, three years away. Yeah. You're like, what? You know, yeah. I, I, I hate waiting for cars. Like, if, if I. Well, we're in that instant society, aren't we? Click, buy, boom. It's here the next day. Yeah. Amazon Prime Star, right? Or whatever it is. But I love it when a car, a car manufacturer, they might tease a concept and then they release the car and the order form opens that day. And they're delivered three months later. You're like, yeah. oh wow, this is actually like soon. But waiting for a car, like if it can it, work against you though, because it, it did with like Toyota did it um, with the, well, the Lexus, let's say. And I think to a degree, maybe also like the nine one eight, but particularly the Lexus, you know, because they were they were testing that thing forever before they delivered yeah. to customers, like literally years. And like by the time it landed and people got their hands on them and took them to events, we're like, oh yeah, one of those. Yeah, we've seen that kicking around doing yeah, yeah. road testing for like years. It's not like people are like, oh, yeah, because oh, they wow. had you know with the nine eighteen, they had the nine eighteen Spider race car, mm. which was it was the road car. It was like literally looked exactly the same mm. as the road car, but the road car wasn't out yeah. yet. And they had Porsche, you know, being Porsche, the first cars and the first numbers they released for the nine eighteen were, you know, X amount of horsepower. Let's say it was like 800 horsepower yeah. or something. And this weight and blah, blah, blah. By the time the production cars came around, they were like over a thousand. It's something yeah. like that. Yeah. Like when they put 918s up against other stuff yeah. of similar, it, you know, weight and whatever, and they're like, hang on a minute, this car is really fast. I'm like, well, that's classic Porsche, isn't it? But no, they're like genuinely like 200 horsepower more than they said they were going to be two years yeah. ago but it, that makes it's sense it's like people kind of I think a, a long way is it's a tricky thing equally in today's society with smartphones and so on it's actually really difficult to keep stuff under wrap yeah you know? oh, definitely um, so, and it takes a long time to develop these things yep yeah I used to uh, know um, I still do a bit um, used to do with Chris Goodwin quite a bit mm. who um, was a development driver for McLaren a long time and now I think now Aston Martin yeah. and, anyway, pretty much every time I ever spoke to him on the phone because he used to race at the Revival yeah. a bit and come to Festival of Speed. I'd ring him up. It was a foreign ringtone. Where are you? I'm in Africa. I'm in South America. I'm in 
you know, Asia. I'm in Norway. I mean, he was road testing. Yeah. I mean, the hundreds of thousands of miles that guy must have done in a year yeah. was insane. I mean, he basically must have spent um, probably three quarters of his life sat behind a wheel in literal hours. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyway. It's so, crazy. So I normally wrap up these podcasts with five questions. Shoot. Uh, first one. Okay. Do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey? Or like road trip, not generally driving a road. Car. Um, I've the last person I had on. Um, I think I applied this. To, I said, you know, your most memorable racing because he'd done a lot of racing. Mm. But, but if you have, if you think one of those stands out more than the other, um, from like a, an enjoyment, like yeah, um, well, it's easier to think of racing ones, I suppose, and road ones. But the, yeah, I did. Um, Kind of a long drive. I did a rally, the tour auto rally, actually, mm. um, uh, in 2016 with a buddy, and I'd never done an event like that. You know, I'd heard about it and so on, loads. Um, and it's basically five days of special stages and circuit kind of sprinting, um, and then a lot of road driving, like 2,000 kilometers. And we did it in a 911 2.7 RS lightweight, so not dissimilar, let's say, to your yeah. car. Um, and we kind of shared the driving. So he did the special stages, I did navigating, and then we shared the road driving and I yeah. did circuit stuff. Kind of worked well. Um, and um, that was, it was fantastic. It was it was hard, but it was um, you know, just long days. But it was fantastic because it was like, you know, boys road trip. You know, we, yeah. we didn't have time to fiddle around with our smartphones. You know, we weren't just having a wicked time. Calling back home, you know, three times a day or whatever. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Um, in terms of um, uh, you know other, other drives, um, there was a car I kind of worshipped a guy racing old pre-war Grand Prix like Formula One car. Formula One didn't exist pre-war. Uh, I used to worship when I was growing up. So he's just awesome. Mm. It was black, and um, and they're they're extremely rare. ERA it was called, and um, it's like a one and a half liter straight six supercharged twin cam thing, um, and they're one of the few, in my opinion beautiful pre-war cars as well as being purposeful but they weren't like the ultimate unlimited category they were literally like one and a half liters that was a yeah. limit but they packed a lot of punch in for a pre-war car they made like 200 horsepower maybe a bit more nowadays which is mm. pretty impressive when you consider what a road yeah, car yeah, at the time sure. made um, and um, anyway um, a few years ago I was in Australia on a business trip in Melbourne and the Grand Prix was on so I was like oh, okay I'll go and have a look there was a historic demo there which I kind of sort of forgotten about really um, and my friend was there, who I'd known for ages, who has one of these cars, a sister car, also in black. So exact same type, looks the same. And I'd always thought, oh, amazing cars to drive. But I'd never kind of really been super keen to drive mm. a pre-war car because there's literally no seatbelts. Yeah, there's no. Um, a very comfy car, armchair-like. Um, and uh, anyway, he's like, well, we're doing demonstrations. There's, you know, like four 25-minute demonstrations once mm. each, each day. Um, and um, he said, why don't you have a go? <laughs> You're lost. Like, Seriously? He's like, yeah, I've done three. I don't want to do four. And, you know, in figurative terms, chuck me the keys because there's no keys. And so uh, I had no suit or, you know, anything, a uh, race suit, helmet or anything. So I borrowed that and I wore what the trainers I had on, um, Converse trainers, and drove that. And that to me, out of all the cars I've driven, was kind of special, but particularly because it seems so far out of reach when I was yeah. eight, seven or eight, whatever it was. Um, so that was quite special. Um, I suppose driving 
racing a 250 LM at Le Mans, um, which is, you know, yeah, like it's like, you know, an evolution, the later version of the GTO, let's say, you could argue. Um, the engine in the back, they made less than 40, I think, from memory. Um, and it's in my favorite colors, Maranello Concessionaires, which is a UK importer. And they were red with Cambridge blue stripes on them. Um, and I never thought I'd drive any of those cars, let alone one at Le Mans. Um, that was a, quite a pinch me for the moment. Yeah. Um, and even better, I forgot to put my earplugs in at the time. So I absolutely deafened myself and was shouting for days afterwards. <laughs> uh, I only realized on the warm up lap, Jesus, this seems really noisy. Um, oh, they're in my pocket. Uh, yeah. Oh, well. Um, that was cool. Um, and actually, I suppose the third one was my first taste of McLaren F1 um, when I drove a friend's road car. Not far, just from Goodwood down to Littlehampton, which is a journey I never thought I'd actually um, do in anything, really, and say it's memorable because Littlehampton's not terribly memorable. Yeah. For anyone who lives there, it's not that amazing. But there's a really striking cafe right on the seafront there. It's won all sorts of architectural awards. And it's basically, it looks like kind of a, a sort of a, 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 a bit of log, really, on the beach, which mm. is meant to look like a bit of driftwood. And it's metal, um, and it's um, rusty. However, I just left the finisher rust intentionally. But kind of curvy, funky, sort of organic-looking shape. And we drove the F1 down there, um, which has famously got Reg F1 Joy. Yeah. Um, a dark, dark blue one. I think it's called um, Genesis Blue. I think there's only two in that colour. Um, and um, we drove it down to some photos. And the backdrop and, you know, and, and the drive down there, you know, was that was pretty, pretty memorable. first experience in an F1. And I'm like, how, how do I drive this thing? He's like, well, put the key in, you know, pretty much like any other car. You, you, you'll figure it out. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, he was right. It's actually incredibly, it has this kind of mythical, out-of-reach kind of status. Yeah. and. Don't get me wrong, it's an incredible car from a performance perspective, but very analogue, and it will bite you hard if you're an arse in mm. it. But it was actually incredibly intuitive and ergonomic. I, I was su- so surprised. Okay, it's not the easiest thing to get into, but in terms of when driving, yeah. it's super ergonomic and incredibly docile at like 40 yeah. miles an hour. Some supercars, you know, they really don't like low speeds. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose that was, that was quite impressive. I mean, that so, does, yeah, there's some, some yeah, good moments. Yeah, I sound quite... Incredibly <laughs> spoiled thinking about it, actually. Uh, so, but there's loads of drives I, you know, I yeah, want to yeah. do. You know, it's like the company often makes a drive. Yeah, really. definitely. You know, like some of our roads, it's been really fun yeah. going around in my old, you know, yeah, smoky diesel estate. Around. You know, down out to Spa. Yeah, but, it's been good. Yeah. Right, next question: five car, five car garage, and the only is unlimited value. Uh, the only caveat is it has to sort of fit into your current lifestyle. Right, so you you might need. I've got one four too. kids, so yeah, that exactly. kind of basically rules out ninety nine percent of cars, isn't it? Can yeah, I leave but, some of the kids at home? Is that yeah? Right? Well, you know, you might have one car that's like the family car, right? And then okay. some other cars. Okay, if we had to give you, if you had to list five cars okay. that have that many seats, right? Be- um, I think I'd 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 selfishly for the selfish drives or the, you know the road trips with one like one mate or my wife maybe yeah. on the mythical occasion we actually ever go away without kids together. Um, I I'd, I I would go for a singer. I love, I haven't driven one. I can't wait to one day. Hopefully I'll get the chance. I love their detail. I yeah. think I spend a lot of time drooling over it in the garage, but I love how analog they are. Um, and how it's a kind of a, a pure driving experience it's in a way. Unbelievable sweet, sweet spot. Isn't it? Yeah. It seems to be from people who've driven them. Um, and it's not because of the, the, the hype. I actually thought they were kind of a lot. They're an overrated thing. Cause I saw mm. one at Goodwood once we, we had one at Goodwood and I was like, Oh, that's that bloody modified thing. Everyone's raving on about yeah. 
you know, overpriced pile of shit, you know. And I, I thought I'll walk up and spend five minutes looking at it. I was there for like 45 minutes. Mm. I genuinely surprised myself. I was like, okay, now I get it. Um, so that would be one, I think. I would have a 250 um, short wheelbase Ferrari right. because in terms of, I think 60s was a real sweet spot from any manufacturer, particularly Ferrari. That they, they have very curvy shapes. It doesn't look bad from any angle. Yeah. Okay, people go, oh, car. but you haven't said the 250 GTO. No. Nah. I, I love them. I really love them. I've, I'm lucky to have driven one. Um, uh, you know, and that was a special occasion in itself. It's also my wedding day, so it was, it was obviously that was a very special day for that reason. Um, um, but but um, if I had the choice, I, I didn't think a 250 GTO was proportionally that much better than the value is yeah. over a, a short wheelbase. Yeah, you can say really you can like tell it's lighter and lower and and more performance oriented. Sure, and it's stunningly beautiful. I just personally, I love the back end of a short yeah. wheelbase. It's a nice ass as cars go, you know. Yeah. Um, and and also you could you can go on holiday and take kids to school, go to the shopping. You could go to a concourse, race it, rally it, whatever. They're incredibly versatile. They're from that kind of period where the race cars can be road cars. But, yeah, you know, you, you know, you could use them for both. Um, so that would be that. McLaren F1. Yeah. I'm, I, I flip backwards and forwards. Yeah, I think. I, I love the rarity aspect. I love the thing. Mm. Um, and I love the fact they have a competition history. I equally love the purity of the road car design. Um, what about LM? Uh, like a middle point. You mean the long tail? No, 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 no. Just the road car LM. So it has the GTR body styling. Oh yes, interior. Sorry, I was miles away. Like I was sort of talking about the homologation ones they did for the long tail, where it had no wing and it really no. doesn't work no, for no. some reason, in my opinion. Um, yeah, that that's a sweet spot if you could get one of the yeah, yeah, six. Yeah. Um, yeah, that would be. I don't know, but if I think if I was going to have the wing and stuff, I'd I'd go. You know what? I'd I'd, I'd have the race history. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love the rarity side of it. Um, but I think you know, eighteen versus six is still pretty rare. Um, so I don't know. I flip backwards and forwards between that. I think I'd, I'd go have for to a drive race both car. back to back. Yeah, to I, side. I, I, yeah, exactly. And I, I, cause I think, you know, the, the, the short tail race cars by all accounts, if they're being modified to use on the road, aren't, ask Dean Lanzanti, he knows far more than me, um, aren't that different to drive. The long yeah. tails probably are different gearbox, you know, lock yeah. and ride and so on. Um, but I, I think, yeah, if I was going for a race car, I'd probably go for, uh, Sorry, Dean will shoot me if he's listening. I can't remember the chassis off the top of my head. Um, but the West car, which is a short tail race car, but right. had different headlights and a few other different details on it. Um, and it was also, I think, one of the winningest GTR chassis. So what color is that? It's white with red. Oh, okay. Yeah. West cigarettes. Yeah. Um, German brand. Um, or big in Germany anyway. Um, so that would be, what am I up to now? Just uh, three, I think. Singer, singer, uh, to your base, F1. Need some sort of daily, oh, daily family vehicle. Um, yeah, I'm quite well for kids. I like, I do like the idea of an estate. Um, okay, so there aren't many estates that have seats in the back, four seats. I mean, okay, things you can, my Merc has that, but it's an old smoky diesel, so you know, there are some of the punchier estates I quite like, but they don't have that many seats. No, like the E55, I don't. Think no, the old one had I don't think any of them gen- do anymore. No, some of the SUVs do. So uh, yeah. I'm, I, I'm just going to have to throw. Tesla it, does. You know, go. Oh, you know what? I'll, I'll leave some of the kids at home and they can take the bus or something. Um, and kind of you know because otherwise it somewhat you know stifles your choice. Um, 
estate wise, you know, I'm I'm not a lot of new cars don't do it for me. They lose character. They become more generic. I think. Mm. Um, I quite like the um, Audi RS6. Um, yeah, um, I, 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 I probably go for the. I think it was an RS6 before that had the not the one with the Lambo V10, although that mm. did sound quite impressive. Um, um, but um, yeah, I I like the practicality of a boot being able to string yeah, a load stuff of stuff in, in it. Um, I. I quite like the. I, I, if I didn't have that an estate as a runaround car, I'd probably go for a, um, the '90s M5, the E. Uh, was it 40, No, not forty six thirty. What is the V eight? You know, the curvy one in the mid '90s, mid to late '90s. Mm, that one. Not sure. That one. Yeah, I. I, I don't know. I, I thought that one was a great car. I drove on once. Um, although, good luck. Probably trying to find a tidy one. That's not. This is all hypothetical. Being abused. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, I think, I think about the um, that's true. Um, you never know. I may get the combination right on the yeah. lottery numbers one day, and it will become a real problem, first world problem. <laughs> um, so I think I'd like something performance in practically. Estatey, yeah. Probably, yeah, if I had the choice. Um, um, and But equally, you know what? I do kind of a, a, I suppose it's a bit of a dirty habit. I do quite like G-Wagons. Not the blingy ones. Yeah. Just the longer wheelbase kind of practical sort of the, ones i like how utilitarian they are yeah they are they i drove the new g-wagon and it's great like it's genuinely it? great yeah. i've driven the old the previous gen i don't know how different they are but uh, they're very different are they oh, right. the, the previous i so said i've driven the 63s of both yeah and the new one i was very uh, shockingly impressed with actually huh. and the only thing i i'm not I don't necessarily like this sort of image. No, I'm slightly put off by that in a way. Um, I I slightly prefer the Range Rover vibe to the G-Wagon vibe. But if I had to own one of the two cars, I'd potentially have the G-Wagon, ignoring values and whatever. Yeah. Um, It's just a bit cooler. I don't know. Yeah. I'm going to text you at some point later on. And be like, no, I've forgotten what was Too I late. thinking. I've forgotten this and this and this. <laughs> I, I know. I'll be thinking, driving around thinking, what about that? Um, but um, but equally, then I, I think you know what I kind of fancy like an an old Defender or even a Willys Jeep, something mm. that I can you know, Just if I had the, the imaginary house in the country, I can say, right, let's drive the Willys Jeep or Land Rover, or whatever, into icon? Blackberry Bush and stand on the bonnet. And, yeah, I quite like what they do in the same singer sense. Yeah. I spoke to one guy once who had an icon, was it a Bronco or something? I can't quite remember. And he raved about it, really raved about it. Um, I hadn't seen one up close to, yeah, so to I judge. But I, I, you know, yeah, I kind of. There like is the also a company um, that does old, sort of old style Range Rovers, but singerized. Yeah. Um, someone was telling me about them the other day. And I was like, oh, that's quite. I mean, obviously, people are going to do this stuff for all sorts of things. But yeah, but so, and we are just to clarify, these are all road legal cars. Like, I can't pick any. You can have a race car. Oh, can you I? can have a race car as one of your five. Oh, I didn't realize that. I have a, I, I, in my five, I'd have oh, a race right. car which I would race. Oh, I hadn't realized that. You've got mm. one more slot. Yeah, so I've got something practical. You get the idea of the theme. Yeah, and, I, and also my point, I suppose, on that fourth one, it is not being exactly sure what it is. I think cars very much depend on, um, you know where you are in your life yeah you know the car definitely. i would use my everyday car when i was in my 20s versus now will be completely different and versus in 20 years time you know i won't need to pack a load of kids yeah. and so on um 
But race car wise, oh geez, for me, it's like, have I got a list? Can I have a hundred, please? I don't know. Um, short wheel base, you could also argue is slightly race car. Uh, yeah. F1 GTR, technically sort of race car. Um, I personally, I, I think, um, hmm, would be a Viper or like those. Not an F1 it, car from. Uh, yeah, that, that, you know, in the sweet spot, late 90s, screaming. V10 McLaren MP4 uh, was it 17 18 97 98 Hackenden car that's a stunningly beautiful car I think um, but equally you know 917 that's a scary yeah. beautiful car I, in race car terms I, is, I'm going to regret this um, because there's there's, uh, there's so many to be honest um, to pick something kind of different I Mm. See, if, if, if for me, if it's a race car, it's it's sort of got to be m- modern safe. Ah, uh, yeah, I get that. But that's I mean, just equally, I love I love the seventies like because it's like seat bag packet. You know, they had seatbelts in seventies; weren't terribly effective. <laughs> um, but um, I love the seventies high airbox Formula One era. Yeah. Um, but equally, to me, a big th- one of my big passions is cool liveries. And long tail race cars right. and higher box F1 cars. So it would probably be something from that category. Long tail Le Mans car, which is purposely made for Le Mans, mm. um, like long, twer- long tail 917 or, or, or 512 Porsche or, or 936, something like that. Yeah. Or it would be a higher box F1 car from the 70s. Um, um, or it'd be, you know, an art car, something like that. Um, you know, one of those. You've got to pick one. Oh, do I have to? One car. It's okay. It's going to be a Le Mans car. I'm zeroing in on, zeroing in on that um, because at least there's a little bit go, to go crunch yeah. around you more than an F1 car. Um, it's gonna. I'm probably probably going to say like a five twelve long tail Ferrari. Cool. I think there you go. I'm not happy that I had to just settle on one, but if I had to, there we go. Next question: If what's the most undervalued car in terms of yeah price that you can think of at the moment? <sighs> Road or race? Me either. Yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, I'd probably focus on race. I'm not so clued up on road cars that are undervalued necessarily. Um, I think, you know, they're not everyone's cup of tea with the headlights, but I think uh, 996 racing Porsches, um, I bang this drum a bit, I think they're quite undervalued. Um, they were actually quite significant in Porsche motorsport terms. You know, they're pro- arguably, I think, their most successful mm. GT racing model. Uh, in our RS or RSR spec, um, if you just count that generation, than any other previous generation, they won major races, yeah. championships, they won Le Mans class six years straight, they won Daytona outright, Sebring, all the different championships. Um, they were a big step change in design as well, the Porsche. Yeah. Not, not just water cool, but in terms of the architecture yeah, yeah, of the car, yeah. uh, chassis and so on. And, you know, you can pick up um, a car for less than 200 grand with pretty decent history. Um, you know, probably two to three hundred with something yeah. of like Daytona or Le Mans or Sebring history. Um, and I think you know, that's an awful lot of history yeah. for your money if if the history is important side is important to you. So, yeah, that's what personally that's what I'd be putting my money in. Cool. Uh, at the moment, right. The know. final question: What is the most interesting car to you personally at the moment? Which so like. You might have Googled recently or like mm. you think about quite often. Or New car? Huh. Doesn't that have to necessarily be a new car? Oh, interesting. 
Um, trying to think what's like out anything there. to like the front of your mind. Um, I've been yeah, lots of things stick in my mind, uh, but but for the wrong reasons, you know, in terms of like you know these hybrid supercars and yeah. you know all that, and I get about pumping out too many special versions. One of only so many. I'm like, oh, come on. Yeah. Didn't you do that like last week? And they're doing the power, not weight. They're going for power. Uh, uh, yeah, I know. It's easy weight. for any idiot to put their foot down in a straight line. It's not like, you know, make the skill fun. comes from getting something through the corners. Um, uh, good question. Um, I'm, I keep coming back to, and although I say I'm inherently an old car guy, not a new car guy, I keep coming back to the Valkyrie and um, the the new 2021 regs. Yeah, but for, for endurance racing, because it's I think that would be assuming they can make it work. That'll be quite an exciting car generally as a road car. But yeah, but um, also with the regs being reset and the cars being you know similar, let's say. Um, a bit. I, I, I think it's yeah, it's quite an exciting time. Um so I, I, I'm interested to see what the rivals come up with, you know, because they will. Yeah, it, and we'll we're sort of reliving that moment when the like the original F one came out. Okay, you, you can't do it now, we would drive to Le Mans and go and win. But yeah. like you're potentially gonna you're gonna see an outright win from a basically mm-hmm. a car that you you can sort of, and out, it's also also out of all of the, uh, you know, there are plenty of supercars, hypercars. They you, know, you could, could have called called them, I suppose. Now, um, back in the early nineties, you know, which is prime before becoming yeah. the big pop, and a lot of the companies, you know, made a handful and then went tits up. Um, and some of them are ridiculously complex. Um, and you know, actually, then the executions <laughs> thing that we were talking yeah. about was was pretty rubbish. Um, but the F one was at the time, and he's still head and shoulders above any of its competition at the time. And the only people who got remotely close to only cars were cars that were basically race cars that they made one road car of to homologate for. I wonder if the same will happen with the new regs in 2021 uh, and forwards. That the, well, Will the Valkyrie be that much better and more revolutionary compared to its rivals than the F, like the F1 was? Yeah, I, I think unlikely because there's some big hitters like Toyota, for example are making a car mm. and they're making it to win Le Mans and they're going to make some road cars. Now I, they may, that may not hundred percent be a correct mm. statement. Um, they, they have not said this, but if someone like Toyota wants to win, their budget is quite a lot bigger. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, but it, it comes down to kind of the, the brand, the mystique of the, what makes McLaren so valuable. It wasn't just that, you know, it was, a seminal moment of design in terms of you know the philosophy and materials and lightweighting and so on. It wasn't just that it was the last genuine production-based road car to win Le Mans. I think it was the whole philosophy and kind of buzz sort of mm. behind it in a way that's kind of created the mystique that exists now. And it's like if you look at the Toyota car from from you know their LMP car, which is technically meant to be a GT1 car, yeah. but it was basically a prototype in disguise. Um, they you know. That was ultra dominant in ninety eight, ninety nine at Le Mans, and and there's one car now. We had it running with us in the club last year in a demo, the only one in private hands, and it's in, it's a sensational thing. People love to see it, and but its value is not remotely near to no. that of an F one uh, road car, let alone GTR. Uh, you know, maybe it's a few million euros for four, three, four million euros, something like that. But F one's like race cars, like twenty plus. Um, so 
uh, I wonder if that would be the same. You it's know, never going to have... Some brands just struggle to shake that stigma yeah, of being it, a bit beige. It sort beige. of depends on what your brand does for its day job. Yeah. Like, you know, Ferrari make cool sports cars, McLaren make cool sports cars, it, it, Aston Martin make cool yeah. sports cars. Toyota, you don't go, oh yeah, they make cool no, sports it's, cars. No, it's like if Casio came out with the most revolutionary mechanical watch that they did, like, yeah. hey, we've just been developing this in our spare time. It may be revolutionary and super technologically advanced, and so you'd be like, "Yeah, but you're Casio. Like, you also make calculators and digital yeah. watches." Uh, struggling a bit to get enthused about that. In the same level, I might about it. Like, a, if you're into watches, George Daniels or a, I don't know, Patek Philippe yeah. or Zenith or Richard Mille or whatever. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, it's going to be interesting. I'm. Excited. It is definitely going to be interesting, and I think we're all like. Want to see these cars? I'm just and hear them. I think the worst bit, in a way, is I'm like, oh damn! I have to literally wait an entire motorsport season plus the winter bit. Yeah, before, before we, we get them. to it. Yeah, I mean, I know you, they'll be testing and so on, but it's like ah, uh-huh. now I know about it. I'm just I'm annoyed to wait. Yeah, I'm I'm still looking forward to the day I see a Valkyrie drive past me on the street. Yeah, I think what happen? I'd probably be. I'll go. Oh, that sounds cool. And then chase after it, hoping that I get to look at it at the lights. Yeah. Um, well, I'm chase after it. I'm not pretty out of shape. I won't move. You know, if it goes more than the block, I'm screwed. Um, but I think I, I, ha, having just seen the concept mock-ups yeah. and so on, um, I think there'd be a jewel to look at in detail. Yeah. I'm, um, I think the final version is going to be sick. So, uh, yeah. Cool. Well, we've actually just ticked over. Three hours. Breast recording. Have I set a new record? That is that's definitely a new record. Oh God, is that well, maybe, that's a good thing or a bad? I don't know. Well, it's good job that we have it recording over there, because um, I think that all the other video feeds have gone. They've but, given up. They're like, oh God, anyway, still waffling. On. Thank you very much for coming on. Hey, thanks um, for having me. You can find Jarrah if you're three hours and two minutes in. I mean, fair play. I'm, but yeah, you can find him cool. on uh, his website www. Jara, J-A-R-R-A-H, Venables, V-E-N-A-B-L-E-S dot com. Yeah. And also on Instagram. Yep. I think at, it's just my name, Jara Venables. Jarrah Venables. Yeah, yeah. Um, or follow the Endurance Racing Legends. Yep. That's got a website. Dot com. Yeah. Website, Instagram. Uh, um, if they're this far in, frankly, if I bump into them, I'll buy them a beer. I'm quite impressed. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, thanks for coming in. Thanks. Cheers, Sam. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.